0: I'm Evelyn, and I'm a geoholic. That's a steel pan, I think.
1: <laughs> he can't help himself. He can't help
0: himself. Strap in, you got a wild guest. <laughs> All right, I'll shut the hell up, I promise.
2: Oh, my goodness. Songs that make you go... Hmm, uh, what the hell am I listening to? Is, is, what the, is what that makes me do. I wish I knew. I wish I knew. Um,
1: yeah, it's one of those, you know, we, we ask the guests for their input on the music.
2: And our guests this evening, I mean, and usually they give us some great ideas.
1: Nine and a half times.
2: Gets us in the mood. It's really jiving. I mean, jamming. We're just bopping. And I don't know what that was, but it, it hurt.
1: And every once in a while, like one out of 178 episodes, we have a guest that...
2: Recommend so something out like there
1: this. There <laughs> we're going to get to all that, and we got a lot to get. And
2: to. we have to put that in the Spotify playlist. <laughs> oh, Let's. We're going to
1: apologize right now for the taste, the musical taste of our guests this evening. How's that?
2: Uh, sounds good. Good. Yeah, like all right. right. Let's all get right. on with
1: this. Here we are, episode one seventy eight. Welcome back to <laughs> you, Holics.
2: Yes. <laughs> yes. Already derailing a a perfectly set up episode. <laughs>
1: Oh, my gosh. If if people could just have seen, like, if we would have had this live 30 minutes ago, the entertainment value would have been off the charts. man. Off the charts. But uh, I do got to mention one thing. Uh, The last few days have been amazing. Like, we've had record downloads. Yeah. The last few days. We set an all-time record two days ago. And it's just like... I don't know what's going on. I honestly don't know what's going on. Maybe it's Juneteenth. I don't know what it is. But something... It was a holiday. Something has triggered us.
2: Yeah, and we did... There was a little gap there. We had a nice little... little, Over a week-long gap of content. So, maybe... Maybe the masses, quote unquote, masses Maybe. were were so in a geoholics deficit that once it popped up, they just immediately started downloading as much as possible to to. Oh compensate. my
1: gosh! I hope that was the case. <laughs> I really do. But I was looking at it for the last like eleven days. No, we went eleven days without releasing any content. Yeah. And prior to that, we released like five episodes in twenty days. Yeah. So it was like yeah. overload. It was right. Content overload. So either way. The plants have aligned. We had really Juneteenth. Has. Everything is looking up. It right? really is. Yeah. Yep. Yep. For sure. So, anyways, thanks to all listeners. Thanks to our friends of the program. Thanks to everybody. I mean, our our guests. Um, man, oh man. I'm, I I get humbled a lot mm-hmm. by this show, and just kind of watching how things things have progressed over the last uh, last few days. And then we got this uh, this thing from a website that tracks you know podcasts and. You know popularity and stuff like that, and out of like three point one million podcasts, Mm -hmm. we're in the top five percent.
2: Yeah, that's insane. How does that
1: even happen? I don't know.
2: That means that there is a hundred and eighty thousand podcasts that might be a little better than ours. (laughs)
1: Okay, (laughs) fine, (laughs) fine. Bring me back down to well, but it doesn't say where in that five
2: percent we are. We could actually, you know, I've seen some other metrics that we might be a little. A little better than we think we are. All right. I'll leave Uh, it at that. Either
1: way, thanks, everybody. I do want to mention one thing. Um, Dane Corville, I don't know if that name rings a bell. Uh, For a number of our listeners, that name probably does ring a bell, but uh, we connected recently, and I had, in the past, purchased his um, Fundamentals of Surveying Prep book, his manual, whatever, that he created. Uh and. Unbelievable. I mean, the content is amazing. But he has a website. It's servingmanual.myshopify.com. And on this website, he has... The book I just mentioned, he's got a Texas Land Surveyors Prep book. He's even got a children's book on there. Uh, in addition, he's got some really cool survey shirts. He's got like some pre-made presentations and spreadsheets that you can use to your advantage. Um, lots and lots of really cool stuff. And he has agreed to give geoholics listeners a discount. Oh, really? So for the next month, I believe this ends on the 20th of July, use simply Geoholic and you will get a 10% discount, which will be applied to all items at checkout.
2: That is amazing, and that is Geoholic Singular, correct? Geoholic Singular, and the
1: website, one more time, is surveyingmanual.myshopify.com That's amazing. Super cool. Super cool of Dane to do that. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Love it. Love it. Really good stuff there. Um, Sean, what's new with you, buddy?
2: Oh, did man. Did you have a good Father's Day? I did have a good Father's Day. Good. Uh, I was out last week. Uh, took mm-hmm. a little, Took a little trip out to the beach with some fathers to uh, celebrate our fatherhood. Mm-hmm. Uh, had a lot of fun. Uh, thank you to my family for allowing me to do that. And then came back for a nice little Father's Day Sunday. It was super it was cool. Very lovely. Good I feel. also saw some lovely pictures of the Grow household. Uh, celebrating Father Father's Day, mm-hmm. and uh, you yeah. in the center of all that. How was your Father's Day?
1: It was fantastic. Played golf in the morning.
2: Yeah. Uh, How'd you do? Uh,
1: fine. I did fine. Good. <laughs> <laughs> I did. I did fine enough. Okay. All right. All right. Fair enough. <laughs> I beat Megan. That's all that matters. Okay. 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 <laughs> but uh, my oldest daughter McKenna and her fiance Will played, mm-hmm. and it was Will's. <laughs> He bought a set of clubs. He's never played golf before. He's oh, the, been taking lessons. This was the first time? His first time on a course.
2: Oh, that's my nightmare right oh. there. That's, that, is, he that is right so up there with uh, naked in front of a crowd and the test that I forgot to study for. And then it's <laughs> on the golf course with somebody's first time playing golf.
1: Speaking of naked in front of a crowd, I have a story for you.
2: Oh, boy. <laughs> Are you ready for it? I am ready.
1: So, if you remember, here probably about three months ago, I told a story about getting a massage.
2: Yes, from a yes. local
1: masseuse. That's correct. And it was an incredible massage.
2: You, you, you mentioned,
1: and she made it very clear before the massage got started that she was going to massage everything but the kickstand.
2: Everything but the kickstand. Yes, and
1: it was such a good massage that I returned this past weekend. Okay, and got even a better massage. So, Where where are you going
2: with this here, Kent? No, I'm
1: just, I am shouting out Sherry at an Essential Healing Touch in Phoenix. So if you are in Phoenix listening to this, I would highly recommend reaching out to Sherry at an Essential Healing Touch. And if you are visiting Phoenix from out of town, I would highly recommend Sherry. At essential healing touch, she has the hands and elbows of an angel.
2: Of an angel, is this? Yes. Then that's the same person that uh, yes. did the furrow. Oh, so you want you and now? You're sold. You're going to go back to her 100%, every single time.
1: Hundred percent, hundred percent.
2: Cool. Right.
1: So, anyways, um, let's move on with this,
2: please. <laughs> this is going nowhere. Yeah. <laughs> Tell
1: us about that opening number. Good luck with this.
2: Okay, so uh, gonna butcher this guy. So bear with me. That was a, I guess I'm going to call them an artist called. Aphex Twin and a song called Boucher Bouncing Ball. Uh, The Apex Twin is the stage name of Richard D. James, an influential and highly regarded British electronic music and composer, musician and composer. He is known for his innovative and pioneering work in the field of electronic music, pushing the boundaries of genre and consistently challenging conventional music norms. I will agree to that. And he has been recognized <laughs> with several awards, including a Grammy for Best Dance electronic album in 2015 for Cyro. His music has also featured in films, commercials, and television shows, further expanding his reach and influence. So as, long, as much mm. as we want to make fun of this, the guy is a Grammy award-winning musician, 100%. so we should probably shut our faces.
1: 100%. And that song is in a movie called Pi. P i.
2: Oh, was that the movie about the 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 mathematician guy who you've seen Pi before? It's it's pretty. Wild. Don't ask him yet. Yeah, I'm not. I'm not ready to bring <laughs> is my in. My mic's still in, on guess. mute. He's on mute. No, he's muted. No, I, I should have, but uh, yeah, it's a it's a pretty crazy movie. It's, really? You yeah, seen it? Yeah, yeah. yeah it's about oh it's God, about so this I'm mathematician, and he's got a he does all these things with sequencing, and I think he stock market. The, yeah, that he thinks he figures out how to predict. Uh, analytics, analytics from the stock market, like well before there was log- algorithms and all these things. So, before AI, yeah, exactly. So pretty wild stuff.
1: Cool. I'm gonna have to check it out. Um, we got a lot to get to. We, we are, do. of course, in the Get Kids Into Survey Studio this evening. We are. And little did most people know that there is a West Coast Get Kids Into Survey, and that is um, Trent Keenan, of course. Of course. And uh, I gotta mention, TK had a birthday last week. So, shout out to TK. Happy belated birthday. Um, but the West Coast Get Kids in Survey is a, a franchise, is my understanding, of Get Kids in Survey. There are other franchises available. So, if you're interested, reach out to Elaine Ball at Get Kids in Survey if you'd like to find out more about the franchise opportunities. So, moving right along. Are you ready for the airworks?
2: Some somewhat, somewhat random, random trivia. trivia. Uh, I am. Uh, a good, uh, good new friend of mine suggested that I talk about uh, some trivia nuggets about the James Webb Space Telescope. Mm, interesting. You're not um, about me are you? I am not. <laughs> Um, So a couple things that I didn't know, and I'm sure you guys have know about this. You see it in the news. You see these crazy pictures of this telescope that they they launched, um, similar to it's basically the phase two of the Hubble telescope kind of program. Uh, But the uh, James Webb telescope is actually lighter than the Hubble telescope, even though it's about three times the size. And uh, the mirrors are the largest large telescope mirrors of all time. And what it looks like is gold. I don't know if you've seen the pictures, but it looks like it's gold. That's actually beryllium. Mm, and there's only about a little under less than two ounces of gold on the telescope. Interesting. And not only that, guess how cold they can get this. Like it, it can operate. Guess what temperature it, it can operate in.
0: Negative 260 Kelvin. Uh, why, why is this even important?
2: Uh, Kelvin is only positive. You can't go... Oh, yeah, yeah. oh okay. Then, uh, yeah, so what's uh, your guess? 15 Kelvin. Uh, it can actually get down the, to... Negative, se-
0: negative 260 centigrade. Yeah, it's, it,
2: it can seven. get down to 7 Kelvin. Oh,
0: I was off by what, 8.
2: <laughs> yeah. Yeah, pretty close though. I mean, that is that's a lot in infrared. From- <coughs> that is crazy. Cr- I mean, that's that's mm. as cold as when you know when, when we think that you're gonna you want to preserve yourself forever and you're gonna get in the cryo tank, like you're gonna be that cold. And this thing can go in the, it can just go forever. It's actually only meant to go five to ten years, and I think we're two years in now. Holy crap! So it's gonna keep going and keep looking at stuff and stare into a an empty spot, what looks like an empty spot of space, and produce these crazy images that. Are just are
0: just absolutely baffling, but you know it orbits on a Lagrange point.
2: Hmm.
1: Uh, Sean, gravity will once again. You have blown my mind. (laughs)
2: That is always my goal in the somewhat random and trivia moment.
1: The fact of the matter is you came up with this 30 seconds before we started recording.
2: Correct. <laughs> so, Just a little glimpse you, into the magic that can be performed. Kudos to you. All
1: right.
2: <laughs> Next up, we have
1: the Advanced Geodic Surveys Weekly Words of Wisdom. Mm-hmm. Um, we might need to start calling this something else because it's always a quote. You know what I mean? It's not necessarily a words of wisdom.
2: Well, a quote is some words of wisdom. I suppose. So, this yeah. is another good
1: one. I'm going to have to really focus on this and read this because our guest this evening will probably be able to make sense of this quote, Mm -hmm. whereas I can't. So, here we go. Mathematics is an infinity of flexibles forcing pure thought into a cosmos. It is an arc of austerity cutting realms of reason with geodesic grandeur. (coughs) So I have no uh, idea what that. I means.
2: got about fifty percent of those words know what they mean.
1: But it, the
0: quote I was by overestimated my <laughs> abilities.
1: Cletus O. Oakley.
2: Cletus Oakley.
1: Cletus Oakley. I know, know him very well. Are you serious? No. <laughs> I
0: was going to be like, I'm like, really <laughs> impressed." No. The Cars but, movie by Pixar. That,
2: <gasps> but that might be the 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 mm-hmm. smartest for uh, sentence that anyone named Cletus has ever put together.
0: You're a stereotype. I'm very
1: that's horrible. Much so You <laughs> no are going to hell. But on hey, average. I am
2: from North Carolina. I'm allowed to.
1: You sure can. Yeah, that's true. That's true. Uh, you get a pass. So I had to look up geodesic to get an understanding of what that word meant, to be honest with you. So geodesic means denoting the shortest possible line between two points on a sphere or other curved surface. Also another term for geodetic. Oh, really? That ties it all together. That really does tie it, does it together. It does indeed. It does indeed. Before we get to our guests this evening, here is this week's Bad Elf Minute.
3: Hello Geoholics, and welcome to Bad Elf's Point of Beginning, a segment specially crafted for the consumption of geospatial news, history, and technology. We hope you enjoy the content and perhaps even learn something. My name is Dr. Nick Smolovsky, I'm a geoholic, and I'm here to be your geospatial guide. Sorry to be a broken record about artificial intelligence recently. However, important news is coming out about regulations across the pond. The European Union is one of the first major jurisdictions in the world to introduce comprehensive laws governing artificial intelligence, AKA AI. The AI Act, which is still under negotiation, would classify AI systems according to their risk level and most importantly, impose different requirements on providers and users of AI systems depending on the level of risk. For example, AI systems that are of unacceptable risk, quote-unquote, would be prohibited, while AI systems that are of high risk would be subject to stricter regulations, such as a mandatory impact assessment or compliance with data protection rules. The AI Act also includes several provisions designed to promote the development of trustworthy AI, such as requirements for transparency, explainability, and fairness. In addition, the AI Act would establish a new European Artificial Intelligence Board to oversee the implementation and enforce the laws. The AI Act is a significant piece of legislation that could have major impact on the development and the use of AI in the European Union. It remains to be seen whether the final version of the law will be adopted in its current form, but it's clear that the EU is committing to ensuring that AI is developed and used in a safe and ethical manner. This AI Act is expected to be adopted in later 2023. If you have any questions or comments about today's POB segment, please reach out to me via LinkedIn or through the GeoHolics channels. And that does it for us at B2 Studios in sunny Texas. Live long and prosper, my friends.
1: So, Let's get our guests in here this evening. Our guest is Brian Fisher. A little bit about Brian: he was episode twenty-six, so wow. he's technically he's an OG, original. He, you guest. call it,
2: any, anyone in the in the secret room at the bar was an OG.
1: Hundred percent, hundred percent. So a little bit about Brian: in case you've forgotten, uh, he was born in Phoenix. He attended Phoenix College. He said when he graduated, he had a white rope. I'm not sure what that means, but I'm Some sure it means G- he's
0: for GPA. He's really smart. He's, he's really smart.
1: It, uh, his current job is he's a professional land surveyor at Central Arizona Project, also known as CAP here in the Valley. No one calls it CAP. A little bit about. They don't?
0: CAP. Okay, Sam. So, sorry. CAPFIG
1: like <clears throat> A little <throat> bit about Brian here. He's involved in everything at Arizona Professional Land Surveyors Association. He's currently the director and secretary. I'm not going to read all this because it gets to be a little bit ridiculous. He's a chairman of the State Geospatial Committee, president of the Central Chapter in 2023. He is also the secretary of the Education Foundation since 2003. He's been doing it forever. Like that, yeah. At uh, AGIC, he is the work group co-chair. At AAGS, he's a director membership committee member NSPS he is what do you do here Nothing, Brian doing anything on Okay nicks that uh, American <laughs> Surveyor magazine he's a periodic contributor to Air American Surveyor magazine at NGS he is the Arizona State Geodetic Coordinator and as i mentioned his day job professional land surveyor at CAP
2: Oh you missed one more important thing I
1: oh, I got, maybe oh, there's oh, two AGS. What a, do you a, got
2: a, a repeat contributor to the geoholics a repeat <laughs>
1: so there you go and i am <laughs>
2: Shocked. Not
0: on the blacklist. <laughs> sh- yet. Not. <laughs> I'm yet.
1: shocked that this is not on his uh, resume here. I believe, if I remember correctly, you were the inaugural and only recipient of the United Surveyors of Arizona. I was. Lifetime Achievement Award.
0: There you go. I still have that on my desk. It's, probably, it's, it's
1: probably one of the coolest awards you've uh, ever received.
2: Uh, did you set the bar so high that they still have not found another person to receive that award? Uh,
1: actually, <laughs> the, orga- the-, actually the organization... I Hold it.
0: <laughs> because of that award. Because of that award. <laughs> that's how bad it was. All well, that's the how bad they were supposed to be. like, "Oh, you guys money. are going to stoop that low." It's <laughs> all over.
1: All of our money went into that award, and that was it.
0: <laughs> we were done after that. <laughs> Worth at least. It's
1: uh,
2: great. 50 bucks. So,
1: anyways, Trimble Pearl Point Icebreaker time. Brian, would you rather travel yes. back in time to meet your ancestors, or travel to the future to meet your descendants?
0: Oh, great question. Well, I suppose if you, like, you know, got near light speed, you could do the second one. The first one, to our understanding of physics, is not possible.
2: Okay, well, let's just <laughs> take all that out of it and assume these things are possible. As hard as that may be, which would you rather <laughs> you do?
0: Throw insane
1: physics don't, out the window. Don't overthink it. Exactly right. Don't overthink exactly.
0: it. Yeah, there's a whole bunch of, like, cheeky political things you could spin that into. It's like, which one would you do? I, I'm just going to go with the... Uh, would you go backwards or forwards? I
1: think
2: you go way back. Go back?
0: Way, way back.
2: Interesting. Sean, what would you do? Uh, I think I would also go back merely because I, I w- will less likely to be disappointed going backwards than if I went forwards... You know, it c- mm. I could get into the it, the line might may die out. You guys and it are may still playing Xbox. Exist. What the hell's wrong with? You? And, or you know, my my lineage turns into a bunch of uh, terrible, horrible people, and I'm assuming that my descendants or ancestors weren't terrible, horrible people. because a good, job. Uh, good enough to get it me just had here. Diets. Yeah. So I would 100%. I would like to go back.
1: And uh, you know, I'm, a, I'm in agreement with both of you guys. So we're three for three. I would go back as well.
2: Just so you can meet a Grosakowski? Groskowalskis. Groskowalskis. Yeah, Grokowalski's I'd like it.
1: to get that story. Hmm. Hmm. It's only been handed down to me, so who knows what the truth is. Right. Uh, let's get to know Brian here just a little bit. Brian, how did you
0: get introduced to geodesy? Hmm, that's hey. an interesting one. Um, it's probably because I studied math in high school. I did a lot of math in high school. I was in calculus in high school. Were can you believe that? Yeah. yeah, me too. Interesting. I did extra like summer school and that kind of thing in math. So you've always had a affinity for math. Uh there's probably reasons I was in summer school and they're not all good. Mm. Um but uh no, I mean it's, you know, I I guess it's something I was able to do. Mm. I'm not going to say I'm good at it, but I was able to do it. Well, you had to be pretty good at it. Um maybe there's a little bit of it came to you naturally. Wow came to me through instruction and a lot of hard work. What are you kidding? Natural? Well, the the
2: same amount of instruction and hard work doesn't necessarily sink into everyone like it did you.
0: Maybe. Fair enough? I, sure, I don't know. Maybe. Alright, did this giant beer belly come naturally? I guess so. I'm, I'm <laughs> assuming you, I guess I'm
2: assuming you had that in high school, and if,
0: if so, beer belly, be, no, I was that quite would fed, be very very impressive. I did, I did have a mustache, though. Somewhat of a go to Okay. Uh, yeah, yeah. Did wait,
2: you ever? you have a beard in high school? God, no. Yeah, I had, I had a patchy beard in high school. Did you school. really? Oh yeah. Oh god, no. Oh, that, it, I mean, it was spotty at best, but mm, I, I, no, I, was, I was rocking that. It was horrible for me. Yeah.
1: Uh, like as my, far like my, my sophomore year, it
0: was like getting the facial hair going. Yeah, yeah.
1: I was never like even to this day. I'm like I'm not a hairy individual. You know, it's like it's one of those things. I just
0: don't have a lot of body hair. Well, it's like now you guys are podcasting, so it's like if I turn this way, you can see the you know the clear bald spot. That you know it's like. <laughs>
1: Yeah. Yeah, I've been pretty lucky there too as well. Um so I'm only gonna ask you about CAP one time.
0: Okay. Good, because I didn't clear any of this with them.
1: In that case, tell us what you love about your
0: job. Work life balance. Mm, good stuff. That is absolutely nice. Unequivocally. That that's that's right there.
2: What do they do better to encourage that balance than other
1: paid entities? Time off. Pay time off.
0: Yeah. And it's just, you know, well, a lot of stuff that we're working <laughs> on is it's maintenance oriented, which is planned. It's monitoring oriented, which is absolutely planned. Hmm. I mean, some of these things take decades. You're start monitoring subsidence or that kind of thing. I mean, it's like you don't do that overnight. You do that over years on years on years. So our work is well planned. Of course, I got to be in Brighton early tomorrow because I'm working on some of that, but yeah, yeah. no, it's, it's not you're not um i spent a fair amount of time being in private sector and you chase the money mm. in yeah. more ways than one you chase it to get the contract you chase it to get paid for it you chase it so you don't have to pay all those accusations that they seem to always tend to come up with and sure um yeah so that uh, if you're a private sector you got to work when you got to work yeah there's not a lot of balance. So based on that response, I'm assuming you prefer the public sector versus the private sector. Oh, big time. Yeah. I mean, it's like, it's just, it's much more monotone as it were. And so mm-hmm. then you can yeah. focus on things that I think are important. Like I'm not going to do a spoiler, but you're going to say, or any parting words. And so you'll make sense when I get to that. one Because <laughs> I have a parting word on that one. I wrote it down so I wouldn't forget. <clears throat> there you it, go. It Could goes back to that, that. There's your tie-in. That's, yeah. you know, what, what's good writing. You do the tie-in, you know, you get the. Yeah the thing up front and then later you tie it back in so
1: so do you still feel that working in the public sector you're able to provide as much value as you could in the private sector how do, maybe, you, define, maybe, how do it, you define value yeah maybe, that's a good question maybe it's even more maybe maybe you can provide more value in the public sector
2: but where because go- there's
1: budgets like in the private sector you know in order to take things to the next level it costs more money and you got budgets to worry about and this and that whereas in the in the I public have, sector a budget in the public you have a budget a, a bub- of course a budget. Uh, yeah. Public, you know,
0: yeah. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I was, that. That was mm-hmm. one of the major things I was working on this week, is like budgeting things. I did a twenty-five year look ahead on equipment wow. life cycles. I mean, which is yeah. like a little that, absurd. When you that think sounds
2: crazy, given our industry here of equipment life cycle that you know is obsolete in six months.
0: Yeah. Well, no, and that gets into it. I mean, it was like, and that was kind of the thing. Was like they were like, "Hey, can you do a steady state budget?" And so I, we've got. I'm trying to think how many pieces of equipment we have. Dozens, you know. So we have two core stations. We've got five roving receivers. We've got eight static receivers. We have a level. We have two total stations. We have two different survey trucks. There's three registered professionals that are on staff. I mean, it's like and, yeah. and you know, there's a lot of gear. Sure. And they're constantly like, hey, are you gonna you know put this RKK module on mm-hmm. this aerial drone? And you know, dot. You know, you've got data collectors. You've got software. You've got all these things. And, uh, you know, one of the questions they were asking is, can you have a steady state budget year on year? And, you know, basically saying, you know, I have a unit of money and I'll have the same unit of money every single year. And I tried to do that. And I tried to look at life cycles, which are reasonableistic guesses of what you're going to have in the future. And I played and played and played with it. And I couldn't make it work. And finally, I just went back and reapproached the problem completely and found out that I have to have one5 units per year on average some years it's zero some years it's three mm. there's some you know, you know and then and then i i wrote a memo and sent that back up the chain and they're still reviewing it whether they mm. buy into what i have to say or not i mean that's remains really to be seen but it's cool. um you know if if we don't get that budget then we may not be able to have the same level of performance i mean it, it, to a great extent you've got the same complexity you have in the private sector you're just it might just be a little bit more focused mm. private sector you're like did i win the contract Sure, You know, and then if you start not winning contracts, eventually you get laid off. But, you know, in the public sector, you're like, oh, well, I still have to justify things. I have a board. I have management I answer to. I have a board that the management answers to. Sometimes you have to go to that level. Sure. So, yep. yeah, no, I absolutely do budgets. I do them all the time. Cool. Awesome.
2: But going back to value, I think it's a valid point. And I'm I'll well put it back on you, Kent, like, how do you, I know you're not the guest tonight, but you asked the question, how do you yeah. define value and adding value? And is that different in the private sector versus the public sector?
1: Well, since I've never worked in the public sector,
0: I always knew you didn't work. No, I'm sorry. Yeah, well, yeah. <laughs> since I've never worked Come on, in podcast the public isn't a job.
1: sector, um, it's hard for me to understand, you know, what? what that environment is like.
2: Well, I, well, I'm not asking about the environment in, in how would you define adding value in the well, public sector?
1: Well, when I, what would my a person like a, my like? impression of the public sector is that, and I think Brian just um, diffused what I was going to say, but my impression is that you have an endless budget basically to take things to the nth degree that you typically may not in the private sector because you don't have the budget to do it. Uh-huh. Whereas in the public yeah. sector, you have the budget to be able to, you know, occupy these points for six times versus two times in the private sector or whatever. You know what I mean? To just kind of take it another level.
2: Well, I think what Brian has just
0: said is, and it not true. And 58 technically is two. Just to say, yeah, that's the minimum. Sorry. <laughs> I'm getting nerd. I, I
2: think that it, what, what he was trying to say is, the same constraints still exist. Sure. He does not have an infinite budget. He, yeah. he does have to show what value buying equipment and whatever he's going to do is going to add to the, right. the project. And in his case, sometimes the project may be the largest project in the state or yeah. some, yeah. It, you know, 50 year thing that is beyond mm-hmm. the comprehension of private guys like us that mm-hmm. work in month and six month intervals. Yeah.
1: And I also, I mean, to take it one step further, again, my impression is that on the public side, um, the pace at which work is completed, is a little bit slower than what it is on the private side, again because of that depends budget constraints. I
2: don't think you like. I don't think he likes you like you calling him lazy. You started this,
1: Sean. <laughs> no, it's <laughs> not lazy, lazy. It's, uh, <laughs> it's, it's thorough. Lack
0: of uh, uh, <laughs> thorough coming in early. I don't. Well, I'm salary, so I can kind of like go hog wild when I want to. Because mm-hmm. you know, like, actually, I got in trouble for that a number of years ago. I probably shouldn't talk about that too much. But you know, I was not salary, so I'm not allowed to direct my own. Hours And, you know, at, at some era in the past and, you know, now I am salary. So it's like, you know, I just, if I'm out on a job and it's going to take two more hours and I don't want to drive back down here the next day, yeah. I just punch it out. Sure. We do that a lot. Yeah. You know, it depends on the job. I mean, exactly. it totally depends on the job, you know, but it's like. Um,
2: well, yeah. t- talk about that a little bit. What is a, as best as you can, what does a typical job look like?
0: Well. There is no typical job, but I mean, we do we do a little bit of everything. It's like the canal itself that I work for in my day job, as it were. Mm-hmm. Um, just under, just south of four hundred miles. When you get all the little tendrils that stick off of it, there's a number they quote on the website. It's like three seventy six or three twenty something because there's a mile marker, but then we double down on mile markers now and again. Anyway, roughly a thousand miles of boundary because you mm-hmm. got two sides, yep, and they're all over the place. Um. So there's that. There's lots of encroachments. There's three land agents in my own group that deal with nothing but land-related things. A lot of them are licenses. There's a lot of utilities that cross us. There's various water withdrawal. I mean, the the list goes on and on. I mean, there's actually an amazing amount of stuff that comes out of that canal. Um, And interactions and... Complexity. Um, but so just from a boundary standpoint, you have a huge amount of boundary to manage. Now, there's like you get into some of the subtleties of like you cannot adversely possess against the federal government and we are stewards for the federal government. Mm-hmm. So just because you've been encroaching for twenty five years doesn't mean we won't kick you off, as it were, because you're not allowed to do that. Mm. But I've seen all sorts of political exceptions to that. I'm not necessarily gonna get into those, but um, you know, there's major home developers that come in and something happens. Like there's one where they had a retaining wall and then the retaining wall failed and they had to come in and do some extra work. Yeah. And I'm sure there was a Congressman involved uh, as it were, that came in and you know, they're getting, you know, dispensation for mm-hmm. having to encroach and, sure. us, you know, remediating land. There, there's, there is a process, but I mean, it's kind of like way above my pay grade. I just tell them where I don't tell them why I don't tell them when I don't yeah. tell them how surveying is where, but um, so there's that's one. I mean, just all this cadastral component that goes on. There's a huge amount of, of boundary just to manage. Um, then there's a huge amount of maintenance to manage. That thing mm-hmm. is a machine that is running 24 hours a day, seven days a week. It is the single biggest PowerPoint user in the state of Arizona, seconded by things like smelters at mines. We wow. use a lot of power to pump water thousands of feet up. Yeah. because that's what it is it's not a gravity system it's got a lot of pumps starting with like <clears throat> it's south of 900 feet off of Lake Havasu but uh, that's the biggest lift but then all the other lifts are in the hundreds of feet mm. it's a lot wow. of power to pump that I water. didn't know
2: that it was the biggest user of power
0: I've heard that statistic I have to like you know research that one to give you exact numbers this is a Casual conversations. So not the, oh yeah, no, the know.
2: fact checkers will not be coming <laughs> yeah. to our door after. Nope.
0: you guys are second to this <laughs> one mine. <laughs> right? Like yeah. at a, you know, I don't know, copper doesn't take as much as aluminum, but um, that's three what is that? Five C's in Arizona. One of them's copper. One of them's so. copper. Yeah. So it, um, so there's that component, the maintenance component. Um, there's a geo component to it. I guess I'd call it with. Uh, You pump water out of the ground, that is fluids withdrawal, that causes the strata that you have just altered to do things, which we'll call vertical motion. A lot of people like calling it land subsidence. So I do a fair amount, or we as a department do a fair amount of stuff with land subsidence. That's a huge thing. We have structural deformation that we do on a couple of our major structures, the dam being one of them that we monitor. It's a periodic thing.
2: So I wanted to ask real quick, just because I'm a, a dirt nerd, as far as the land subsidence, and is it mostly in the areas where you're pumping wa- groundwater, or is it to monitor parts of the system for movement in what, you know, if part of the canal is experiencing subsidence, then you could get some structural distress, I guess and is the you, right word. Or are you, you looking more of what impact you're having on the groundwater you're pumping?
0: Both. Uh, well, anywhere you do any kind of fluid withdrawal, it could be oil, it could be natural gas, that could be water. I'm trying to think what other fluids they commonly take out. I think that's about it. Those are the big ones. Mm-hmm. Uh, Texas has this in their oil fields. Um, Louisiana has a lot of subsidence, but that's mostly like just yeah. Louisiana is a whole other animal, um, but they do have a lot of subsidence out there. If you go back. There's some interesting big reports like um, the storm surge that happened with Katrina back in the day, if you guys remember that. And a lot of levees failed. Well, they failed not because they couldn't build them right. They failed. One of the principal root causes was they had a lot of subsidence and they were building to a height that was to a mark that was no longer valid. That's one way to put it. Hmm. And so so if they, they
2: thought it was here and it, it actually moved. was here.
0: Yeah, yeah. yeah. And it, those of you who can't see the video, he's moving his hand down <laughs> <or> towards the <laughs> center of mass of the planet. Um, yeah, no, it had lost geometric height. And so, therefore, um, you know, this 100 year event that you're designing for is no longer a 100 year event. It's a 50 year event or something slightly different, mm-hmm. you know, or something less. And then you have a true 100 year event, which was Katrina, and it comes in, it just rolls right over the top of all these levees, and you get massive flooding and mm-hmm. property damage, et cetera. Bad. You know, that's the, the short answer is it's bad. So. That also has a a factor that can go on here because if you have vertical motion, you do not have the same topography that you had previously, and your flood control may not work correctly. Your sewers may not work correctly because they're no longer operating at the same slope. Um, Or connected. Or connected. They might be reversing flow. I mean, you know, that's entirely possible. I mean, you know, it's a complex issue. You can get into the longevity of infrastructures and, uh, you know, the, the life of a pipe. You know, it could be 50 years and, and, or, you know, somewhere in that neighborhood. And it's like, but if you, some of the magnitudes that we have commonly, I'm trying to think, you know, uh, you should get Brian Conway on here from ADWR. He's got mm. some neat stuff on that too. Mm. Um, some of the areas have been, it's measured in the tens of feet in Arizona. Yeah. Depending on the epoch, depending on your your start and stop time. But um, the drain is one that comes to mind. I think it's about at the 50 foot magnitude for those U.S. audience people that work in feet.
2: Um, and that means the ground was 50 feet higher yeah. at one point than it is now.
0: Yep, that's exactly it. Right. One, the one it that, took we, that much water.
2: One, right. one we've seen recently was somewhere between 5 and 10 centimeters a year.
1: 5 and 10 centimeters, okay.
0: Yeah, one's about the minimum threshold to be able to detect in an annual sense. Depending on how you measure it, that's like satellite-based INSAR. That that can measure down into that one-ish centimeter. Obviously, ground survey, depending on how you do it, can be at that level. Sub-five millimeters, hard to detect, hard to see that signal in short eras. But in longer eras, you know, it accumulates. Hmm. You know, Ten hmm. years, that's five centimeters. We can totally measure that. For sure. You know, that's crazy. Um, but lots of stuff going on at the project. There's probably more I could list, that's those cool. are the highlights. But that's awesome.
1: Yeah. Good stuff. All right, let's move on here. Um, I'm going to, I, I've titled this next segment Geodesy for Dummies. Okay. Because that I, works for me. I think there's a lot of folks out there, surveyors specifically, that don't have a firm grasp on this. And um, before we move on to that, I want to read the definition of geodesy okay. that I came up with today. It's pretty complicated, but. The idea of the conversation moving forward is to try to simplify it. Okay. okay. So the definition I came up with, not, I, didn't, I, I didn't invent this definition. I came up by, by doing some research today. Geodesy is a scientific discipline that involves the measurement and study of the Earth's shape, size, gravitational field, and orientation in space. Geodesy aims to accurately determine the positions and elevations of points on the Earth's surface, as well as the shape and size of the Earth itself.
0: Brian? Yeah, that that sounds like what NGS National Geodetic Survey has. So sounds about right. Size and shape of the Earth and its gravity fields and orientation, and you can unpack all of those. I mean, it's like um, size and shape. That one's pretty easy. How big is it? What shape is it? Hey, spoiler! It's round. You know, but It's well, not exactly spherical.
2: Yeah, I've heard you know, that it's, it's not. And does it? Oh, it is round. It's. I know it's very, very, very round. I've yeah. heard that little ish. It, it, I've heard that tidbit <laughs> that it's actually very smooth, not com- flat compared to no. Well, this is the uh, this the it's the pool ball comparison. Like mm. if you take you know if you You're think about smooth. yeah of how smooth it is, and yeah. it's smoother than a cue ball, even when you consider the tallest tallest peak and the lowest lowest. Uh, you know, depths of the ocean. Yeah, still technically smoother. Yep, yep. yep. But, but it's not round, right? It's no, not it's
0: round. it's pretty damn spherical. You want to, you know, depending on what sph- you know, parlance you want to talk in. Yeah, it has a little bit of oblateness to it. Mm-hmm. The equator pooks out, and the yep. poles are kind of squishy down. And you know, like picture, if the equator were, I don't know, if the poles were up and down, and it was a beach ball, and you kind of pressed on it a little bit then, yeah, that's the shape you got. You're flat it on the top. bulges and, a little. Mm-hmm. Yeah, kind of like me. I <clears throat> bulge in the middle. <laughs>
1: you know so where, where, does, where does gravity come into play, then, when you're measuring the earth?
0: Okay, so what does water do? When you spill it on the table, where does it go?
2: Uh, towards the center.
0: It, uh, yeah, okay, what, let's do another one. Which, <laughs> which you know... I know this is a... You've got the explicit lyrics. So I'm I'm trying to be PG rated because, you know, I don't want to... <laughs> that's your a, choice. That's okay. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Which way does shit flow? I'll ask you that one.
1: Uh, down.
0: Downhill. That's the answer. So it's like, okay, so the whole notion of gravity is you're going to... Liquids, fluids are going to seek equilibrium, meaning that they have the same... If, if something is higher than something else, uphill it'll want to go downhill. It'll want to go downhill until it flattens out uh-huh. into an equipotentially equal surface. Think the ocean. Uh-huh. So the whole ocean is the bottom. And, like, if you go back far enough, you can get into, you know, Gauss, mathematician. I think he's in the 1500s. Uh-huh. So he had this, this notion that there's this Gaussian surface that's out there. It's the, it's the sea level. The sea level is the same all over the whole planet, just in round terms. And what he's really referring to is that it has the same gravity potential everywhere. Meaning...
2: At, the, at that surface.
0: Well, and then you can get it a little, you know, like this is like what Newton's second law is like. Uh, <coughs> I can't remember his laws off the top of my head. But anyway, it's like uh, everything has gravity. I have gravity. So the earth is pulling down on me and I'm pulling up on the earth a very, very small amount. Yeah, I think that's first. Is that the first law? Second's the momentum. Oh, the conservation, you know, like object motion tends to stay in motion until it's acted upon by an equal and opposite force. Yeah, that. Yeah, that one. So, (laughs) I don't remember. It's like (laughs) I'm a surveyor. Come on.
1: Um, Let me ask you this. Is gravity the same here as it is on
0: the opposite side of the Earth? No, because the opposite side of the Earth unequivocally is going to be at a different height. Actually, I think that's out in the ocean. So the opposite of where we are, pointing on that map over there for those of you on the webcam, is out in the Indian Ocean somewhere. So the opposite side from where we are, the antipode, as it were, that's a nice fancy term for you. Antipode. Um, antipode. Um, just means the opposite point. It's going to be in the Indian Ocean. It's like your closest landfall, I don't know, I'd have to guess, Kerrigo Island Island, down there in the south uh, Indian Ocean. Um, so since it's out in the ocean, it's going to be lower than we are. Where, where are we at right here? I'm going to guess 1,400 it, feet.
2: Uh, yeah, somewhere about that. But, so, But if we were at sea level... Would okay, we, have if the same, if we would C- have the same okay, gravi- gravitational force here versus in the notion, right?
0: Well, no. okay, this whole notion of sea level being the same everywhere, so the sea level, principally, is going to have the same gravity potential. I'm trying to think of an easy way to say this one. Um, the further away you get from the center of mass of an object, the, the the gravity field does dissipate. It goes down. Inverse square. You know, that whole thing. Mm-hmm. Um, it starts to dissipate. So it's like if you're out in orbit, you have less gravity than you have here, less instantaneous gravity. The gravity feels dissipating, it's becoming weaker. Mm -hmm. So to Sean's point, if we're at sea level at this location, this latitude and longitude, Mm -hmm. and then you go to sea level of the other location, yeah, they'll be equal, but we're not, we're up on the surface. Mm -hmm. So the surface has less gravity than does sea level. Sea level has a larger number, a larger geopotential number, than does where we are the geopotential numbers go down as you raise in elevation they also can go down depending on mass distribution and this is getting into some pretty heavy concepts of physical geodesy is what we're talking about here um i might want to do a segue real fast i am not a geodesist <laughs> i just want to say that right here and now. but <laughs> you play one on podcast <laughs> no i don't i don't play one on podcast um Like, like, well, you know, go back to one of my titles. I'm on the American, or AAGS, American Association for Geodetic Surveys. Now, there's some people on that board that are wicked educated and really smart and brilliant, super cool people. I am not one of those people. I am just this guy, you know. I'm a dirt surveyor. That's what I like to say. I just have, I like doing geodetic work because... And this is a concept that's going around in my mind. It's like all surveys kind of, in my opinion, are geodetic surveys. It's just a matter of whether or not you want to apply the corrections, I don't think is the right word. But I mean, it's like if it's a small enough job, I don't necessarily have to concern myself with the error that's going to inevitably accumulate From not applying corrections like the room we're sitting in it is a cube one side to the other i can't measure the difference between deflection of vertical i cannot measure the difference in in gravity within this room on the floor you know assuming the floor is relatively level Um, it's not going to be a detectable quantity so that wall over there behind you can't the wall behind me which i'm on the opposite side of this little table for those of you who cannot see where we're sitting the podcast or what have you not podcast, what do you call that? The stream. They yeah. can see it. Yeah. My this stream. wall I'm pointing and that wall over there, th- yeah. those are parallel, they're parallel lines. And the, you know, what we're getting into is is a basic fundamental of geometry and what kind of geometry can you know, this one starts with an E, there's a dude, ancient Egypt It's up in Greece at the time when he wrote stuff down. No idea. Yeah, you do. Euclid. 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 There you go. See, Sean knows this. So Euclidean geometry. Sean's an engineer. He's smart. <laughs> What's the fifth postulate of Euclid? There's one. I don't know the first four. You'd be like, oh, you're so smart. You know the fifth one. I just know the fifth one doesn't work. Because parallel lines never intersect. That's the fifth postulate of Euclidean geometry. I forget what the first four is. I think the first one's like a point defines a thing in space. Two points are a line. It keeps building from there. Eventually, you get up to the parallel lines do not intersect. That's wrong. <laughs> Okay, I don't like saying things are right and wrong, but that one's wrong. Parallel lines do intersect eventually. It's, you cannot prove it. You cannot prove that postulate, that fundamental of cubic geometry. And what have you just invented? And it was a guy named Riemann, if I'm saying his name correctly. Riemannian geometry, spherical geometry. I'll give you an example. I'm standing in the North Pole. My feet are cold. It's ice. So, and I'm looking south to London specifically Greenwich. So I'm going right through Greenwich, and mm. I'm going to head down to the equator um, on this line of longitude, the zero line, the prime meridian line of longitude. And once I get there, I'm really close to Ghana is where I'm really close to. Now I'm going to turn 90 degrees, and I'm going to face west. And I'm going to point over to South America. I'm going to point over to Ecuador. okay? And that's, you know, I can't remember Ecuador's longitude off the top of my head. But let's say it's 90 degrees west uh, longitude. And then when I get to Ecuador, I'm going to turn 90 degrees, and I'm going to go back to the North Pole. Well, what angle have I just inscribed at the North Pole? 90 degrees, right? So 90 plus 90 plus 90. This is a Romanian triangle Mm -hmm. that I've just described, and it's 270 degrees within said triangle. What's that formula that we all know and love about Euclidean geometry and the sum of the interior angles of of, of any closed polygon, the general form? N minus two times one hundred and eighty, right? This is a three-sided object. Number of sides is three minus two, it's one times one hundred and eighty. What's one hundred and eighty times one? Count. Uh, that would be one hundred and eighty, Brian. One hundred and eighty. Okay, so how in the hell did we just get a two hundred and seventy-degree triangle? It's not Euclidean space. It's Romanian space, and so and then you know, like then you can get into like a nice classic geodetic thing of spherical access. That's are we talking about declination? No, we're just no. talking about a triangle. I just described a triangle on the surface of the Earth that has two hundred and seventy degrees of interior angle. Mm-hmm. It's spherical access at and its co- finest. Cause Cause I can't it's, you can't know, observe it because it's, it's there. All these points are too far apart. It's not flat. It's not flat. It's not a sphere. And and down, you know, is not down the same direction. You know, it's like right. as I start walking around the Earth, down is a different angle. And and, and this gets into you know leveling and you know the mm-hmm. you, you can you know, get into correctors for curvature of the Earth and the The actual rods I have on either side of differential leveling are actually Mm -hmm. tipping away of each other, you know, type of thing, depending, you know, on the gravity field they're actually in and the curvature, et cetera. Um, So hopefully that wasn't confusing and hopefully it was like made some sense, but it's like there's different geometry out there. So coming back to when are surveys plane surveys, Mm -hmm. Euclidean geometric surveys, and when are they not? plane surveys? one are the geodetic surveys? It just depends on what you can measure and what applies. Yeah. You get some huge, giant example of North Pole to Ghana to Ecuador and back to the North Pole, then obviously it's really easy to visualize that one as being a triangle that's kind of weird. But what about if it's just like a couple, three mountain peaks that are only separated by 50 miles? Well, that Spherical excess could be measured only in a few seconds at that point. It's, you know, a few, few seconds of interior angle, or minutes of interior angle. Uh, I never did that kind of work, so I don't know if there's numbers off the to top of my head, but I mean, it's like, um, that was old triangulation stuff. They definitely had spherical access in the triangulation era of geodetic survey work. But we have that today in the tools that we have. You know, it's like GPS is inherently a geodetic tool. It's operating in that, for lack of a better term, you know, reference ellipsoid environment, which is that round Mm -hmm. earth thing. And then you're going to try to do something with that. It might be kind of sort of Euclidean in the background. You you know, those of you who look deep enough in your data collectors and see it's earth centered, earth fixed Cartesian coordinates, that whole ECF thing. Yeah, that is Euclidean in the background, but that is geometric geodesy, not Mm -hmm. physical geodesy. And you still have to measure those two together. I don't know if I'm really explaining this. This is really beautiful math. And the math is very beautiful in the background. It's very straightforward, and once you get into some of these really basic fundamentals, it's not that hard to apply. Um, and that's a, that's a good segue into something that we're working on in AAGS, which is a certificate in geodetic surveying. It's, it's, what, are, what are these fundamentals that a surveyor needs to know? A geodetic surveyor needs to know. A surveyor that you're going to hire to do a job for you. Like, think uh, I'm going to have, you know, me as a hiring agency, I want to have a prequal qual uh, set of uh, parameters to hire somebody to come out and do photo control across our whole canal. It's really long. It's 300 miles long, and I want somebody that kind of knows what they're doing, but you ought to see. What questions would I ask them? Ken, I'm going to hire David Evans and Associates, or I'm going to consider David Evans and Associates. This is a hypothetical. You're <laughs> purely hypothetical. Violating contracting rules and procurement, et cetera. (laughs) Just a hypothetical. So, but I mean, what, what would I ask David Evans, your employer? What would I ask of you as a statement of qualification? What could I do? It could get complex. Mm. However, if I said, I want to ensure that you have a, somebody that has a CGS and I'm kind of using that term Mm. loosely because it's not necessarily official yet, but they have a certificate in geodetic surveying. I, as a contracting entity, can state that as a requirement for you as a bidding Mm -hmm. group. And you could have a CGS on staff that would be on my project. And then I, the contracting agency, can have an assurity that you won't completely screw it up. At least we've reached some sort of benchmark. And that's something we're working on right now. That's exciting. This is the first I've heard of that. Um, They've been working on it for 12 years. 12 Um, years. Maybe 15. Um, So is it ever going to be a thing? Yeah, I'm on the board and I'm pushing for it. And there's, right. you know, other I, I, people. I think on it's a board. great idea. Yeah. I do too. I really, really, really want to see it happen. Well, We've just, got 60 of, you know, 200 questions already prepared. I'm
2: just curious well. what uh, what does a you know we talk about a lot, but what's a registered land surveyor? Where are the gaps between what that guy knows and a licensed, certified geodetic surveyor or CGS? Yes. It's
0: not a certificate. It's a it's all. Well,
2: well, let's say it's whatever it is. Say the person that that person that is qualified to receive that license. Um, well, okay. That, so here, here's what a CGS. Will what are not the gaps be. between
0: that person and Kent? Here's what we're trying. Yeah, Kent's a good guy. I like him. Let's pick somebody else. <laughs> <laughs> Can we do that? Can we call somebody else? Or is that liable? That be liable. Uh, no, you got to pick on Kent. That's <laughs> no, let's just say <laughs> the average surveyor. Okay, a- the average licensed surveyor, which error. is slightly below Kent, which is. Yeah. Okay, all (laughs) jesting aside. Come on, we're not being serious. This is sarcasm. Uh, Okay, so... um, What does your average surveyor not know that... Here's some of the stuff that you would I think that gap is big. well, well, uh, it probably is.
2: I don't think a lot of people realize that.
0: Well, there's uh, like that periodic contributor title that I wrote Mm -hmm. for you. It's like, I wish I had the time and the energy to write all the time. I love writing writing to quote Stephen King is the way to psychically connect with so many others, because it's like, I'm writing something down in some distant future. You're going to read it and we will have this connection. Uh, There was another neat um, thing I heard about writing too. It was like writing is this process that intelligent people do to refine their thoughts and come to a, a Mm. a nice result and, and and to have an improvement. You know, you asked me about the value earlier. you know, what, what value do we have? We could go down that, you know, but but writing adds value, I think. Reading adds value. Having conversations. This, this podcast, this podcast is value, I think, for our industry because we're talking about things. We're hashing things out. We're improving ourselves. We're refining what we do. You know, this is the refining fire that sharpens us as an industry, this type of activity, and I love it. I'm losing my point because I drinking too much. But
2: um, Well, but my, 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 it goes back to, I want to know. Yeah. What does Kent not know? Okay,
0: totally, that, okay, that, yeah, that's that, a good. Thank you for, bring oh, me Thank you saying, for bringing saying. me back down. <laughs> let, let, Kent, <laughs> what's an ellipsoid <laughs> height? Let me, let me <laughs>
1: exactly. clarify. Let, let's, let's approach it this way.
0: No, we're going to test you right here. No, I'm not saying Kent specifically. My but
1: question is, as an actual surveyor, how much of what you know that goes into creating this certificate does the average surveyor like Kent eighty percent need to know?
0: Eighty percent. You In have order, to know. You have to be. Well, I'm going to say. You know, what's the pass fail? Let's say it's eighty. Let's say it's seventy. Some number like that. Yeah. So seventy percent. You, you handed that to the average surveyor. Yeah. no. You got to get seventy to pass what, the test. What would or they, or no, I, I, I they? know? Yeah. I understand that. I understand that.
1: But the knowledge that you have about this stuff far exceeds the average surveyor's knowledge.
0: And that makes me sad because it shouldn't. This. But it the really fact is,
1: and I'm assuming you agree with me. That is that is the case. That is the case. Now, the number of surveyors that understand geodesy like you do is by far the minority of surveyors.
0: But I am a surveyor. I'm not a geodesist,
1: and I, I do that. apply this on that. my
0: daily job because I Correct. have to. Because my jo- my daily job is a gravity system that's mm-hmm. really super long. Right. And those two things make it geodetic because it's it, gravity again, and it's super long. You
1: are part of the minority. Of surveyors that
0: grasp the concept as well
1: as you do.
2: I'm just assuming that all surveyors know that if I go 15 miles, I've got to
0: account for this
2: curvature (laughs) and how to do that.
0: Yeah, or convergence meridians or, you know, any number of things. Yeah, it's like...
1: I am so excited to talk about Carlson Software. Founded in 1983, Carlson Software specializes in CAD design software, field data collection, and machine control products for the land surveying, civil engineering, construction, and mining industries worldwide, providing one-source technology solutions from data collection to design to construction.
2: Oh yeah. Carlson Software's renowned dedication to customer service is unique in the industry their software suite is designed to complement land surveying operations and provides a variety of survey features to process data from surface modeling to least squares network adjustment users work seamlessly between the office and the field by utilizing company-wide design styles for ease of use and efficiency
1: and i can say i have personally been using Carlson since 1991. Whoa,
2: whoa, whoa, yes. 1991?
1: How is that possible? <laughs> oh my god, I don't know. I mean, <laughs> time flies when you're having fun, that's for sure. But back in 1991, when I was introduced to Carlson, it was very apparent to me that their software products simply think like a surveyor. It's so easy to use. Their customer service is second to none. And uh, I actually went to Maysville, Kentucky, for some training and played golf with Bruce and, uh, and his brother.
2: Wow. Yeah, it was crazy. Nicest human beings on the planet. Um, highly recommend Carlson. To find out more, simply go to carlson.sw.com. Be sure to let them know
0: the GeoHolic sent you. Let's come back to that one. So, okay, so if I said I want to know the difference in height between point A and point B at some distance apart, would I want a lip side height if I'm flowing water? Flowing water? I don't think it matters. Absolutely does matter because it's a geometric height, it's not a geophysical height, but it's so, uh, it's all right, it's not a physical height though. Well, it's physical in so much as I can measure it, I guess, but it's a geometric height, you know. Sure. Now we get into geometric geodesy versus geophysical or, or physical geodesy. Sure. Physical geodesy is about its gravity field, ellipsoid height is not a measure of that. Now, if I add a little simple model called a geoid, uh, now I can start modeling it, uh, and then we'll in very simple terms, we'll call that orthometric height, or in very, very simple terms, elevation. Ellipside height is not elevation. It's not orthometric height. It's not what I want when I'm flowing water. I want orthometric height. Now, somebody's going to chime in on dynamic datums at the Great Lakes, and I just made an error, which I did, but I'm generalizing. I'm trying to keep it simple. So the measured ellipsoid height is not what I want as a client mm. when I hire you to go out and put a bunch of panels out along the canal that I'm trying to flow water down. I want orthometric heights. More specifically, I want the national datum, the national vertical datum. And the national vertical datum is not based on ellipside heights, based on orthometric height. Now, the modernized NSRS forthcoming will be a non-hybrid geoid model. Be It will be a gravimetric geoid model. What we've got right now is not a gravimetric geoid model. It's a little more complicated i don't know i'm going down a rabbit hole i shouldn't so mm-hmm. the point being is like i don't want to measure ellipsoid i do not want latitude and longitude and ellipsoid height when i'm trying to do differences in height for my canal or my floodplain or etc i question, want orthometric real quick height. though before
1: you go that get to that um what is the relationship between ellipsoid height and geoid height
0: N, big N specifically it's a geoid model that's, I mean, you know, it's like, you know, big H equals a little h minus n. There's the number, or there's the math. So um, it's just a very simple formula. So it's like, you know, again, coming back to Sean's question is like, what do I want to test a CGS, certified ge- uh, certified person in geodetic surveys? I want to test that they know they have to apply a geoid model. Now I know it's gonna be a little more complicated that, especially in our current parlance. However, tomorrow, which is not tomorrow, to the people listening to this podcast. Well, maybe the people listening to the stream. How many are on there? Three? Mm-hmm. Okay. We'll just assume the vast majority of people listening to this are not going to be listening to it in the present. They're listening to it in the future. So in the past, go on the website, uh, the NGS website, and there's going to be a panel discussion between four people. I'm not going to call them experts because I'm on the panel. But <laughs> the others are expert. Three experts in Brian. Yeah, three experts in this guy. <laughs> We're going to be talking about the the benefits and the challenges on the modernized NSRS. And one of those things that at least I'm going to bring up is the fact that we are migrating to a gravimetric geoid in the definition of the new NSRS. Meaning, I go out and I do an OPA solution, and I get an ellipsoid height, and I add a geoid model. Uh, NAP, uh, I believe NAPGAD, I don't know if that's the official pronunciation, but NAPGD 22 vertical height based on a geoid model in the future that's a purely gravimetric geoid model, voila, I just got elevation. That's the procedure. That's what I'm testing for. That's mm-hmm. what I think we're testing for in a CGS. Mm-hmm. Caveat, I am on the board, but I do not speak for the board necessarily, um, but that that's what we're trying to do. I wanna make sure that I go out and I get a, a, a consultant that's gonna understand he, or they, he or she needs to use a geoid model when they're measuring ellipsoid height with their fancy-dancy technology that we all use and love, um, and they're properly reporting what I'm expecting them to report. That's the bottom line. <laughs> and it can be that simple, and the education can be that simple. We're not geodesists. We're geodetic surveyors. Geodesists will go out there and they'll do gravity modeling and they'll do all sorts of error analysis, and et cetera, and, and and that's important. That's just absolutely pivotal and absolutely foundational to us having models that actually mean something and and can function for the work that we're doing. However, um, you know, we as geodetic surveyors, delivering data to our clients need to have a consistent and correct message. And that consistent correct message is to utilize all of this technology and all of this mathematics Correctly to result in an answer that is discrete and is the same thing. What is surveying? We measure stuff it's relative to something, same answer twice. I was gonna say repeatable. Repeatable, yeah. Or you, you know, like we measure stuff. We're using GPS, we're using laser scanners, we're using inertial, we're using satellites, you know, we're using photogrammetrics. Uh, you know, that's all the measure stuff, that's all the equipment we're mm-hmm. using. Uh, it's relative to something. Is it this room? I'm assuming the world is flat. It's cubic. It that, that could be relative to this room. Does it have a lot of value? It does for this room. But it doesn't necessarily have value for this building, and it definitely doesn't have value for this city, nor this county, nor this state, nor this nation, nor an international commerce. I mean, look at all the other It's It's relative to the room. Hooray! It's not good for anything else. Mm-hmm. So, you know, you want to know what's the value of geodesy? Global commerce. Global pertinence. You know, I mean, it's like and everything in between. Yep. It's everything outside this room is what geodesy is, and this room needs to have everything else. There's not enough beer in this room for us to sustain. You know, <laughs> we're going to run out. You know, soon. Eventually, eventually. Yeah. You know, I mean, you know, it's like okay, there's a clear, concise message. You know, it's like, do you want to go to the store and get more beer? Yes, geodesy. You need geodesy to do that. There's your answer. And okay, so I got to dumb it
2: down a little bit. How does what that? What you just talked about relate to mapping projections.
0: Okay, map projection is a specific mathematical mechanism to go from this round world, curvilinear coordinates, to use a fancy term, uh, into flat Euclidean geometry.
2: Again, so Kent can work in
0: it because so the Kent round I stuff can work is, in it. Is, is a little is a hey, little I above I him. do I do round either. I don't. <laughs> I, I I like. Cubic geometry. So do engineers. That's Sean. Oh, so yeah, do yeah. architects. So do everybody else. Everybody likes cubic geometry. It makes sense. Uh, we want that. We need that. That is valuable. CAD works in cubic. Uh, you know, I'd argue that um, most of the stuff that you're actually visualizing and you know the geographic information systems is really being fed to you in a cubic sort of way. It's on your screen. Screen's flat, right? What's that done? You know, what's that uh, projection on the fly? You know, right, it's yeah. representing it in this one little square keyhole that you're looking through. Um, I just way oversimplified that, but that's basically what's going on. You know, so it's like, our, we really want to just have our little local perspective. This other abstraction, which is reality, is is beyond us. We want to, you know, keep things local. However, to have global pertinence, you need to have the reality in the background. The reality is the world's round. The reality is the gravity fields are not, always constant the reality is we move around the 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 tectonic plates move the reality is when you pull a bunch of water or oil or gas out of the ground it'll sink the reality is that when the glaciers melt the ground's gonna rebound isostatic rebound i mean you know it's like that's reality and reality is a real bummer but (laughs) it's still there and you have to account for it when it when it accumulates into something that you can measure and that gets into, you know, we measure stuff relative to and same answer twice. So it's like if you don't apply these correctors that we know, they're systematic correctors that we are, we as a society, we with super cool scientists can know and throw into a model for you. There's all these super cool scientists at NGS, National Geographic Survey, they're full of like brilliant people. Why aren't you using the free stuff they're giving you? <laughs> I don't know. It's free and it's high quality. It's global class. Sounds complicated.
3: No, it's not complicated. <laughs> N minus, you know, N minus, you know, or I'm sorry,
0: uh, you know, big H was a little H minus N. I mean, that's it. It's it's just adding. But aren't these, just based on everything you just said, aren't these
1: measurements that we're taking really a snapshot in time? True. Sure. Everything is. Everything right? is in a snapshot in time.
0: Well, you know, that was a, that was a concept I was kind of like floating around in my head like we you know like that whole same answer twice well really we're yeah. just doing a probabilistic uh you know certainty or uncertainty of where something is and it's like it's you know like i was trying to think how to visualize that in my head it's like it's like a firework going off in a fog bank you know it's like there's a bright nucleus but there's this cloud of uncertainty around it that's some distance and then and the picture this fog bank has got a wind current that's blowing on it so it's actually moving and then as time goes by that flash from the firework is going to fade. So eventually, you know, and not only is it not just like a pin prick of light, yeah. it's this zone of probability that's in motion that fades away. That is data. You know, like I go yeah. out and do a topo 20 years ago, is it pertinent today? Probably not, it faded away. Hmm. But if I do a topo 4 years ago, hey, that might still be pertinent. However, I'm going to have to factor in the motions that are going on not only tectonically, but also locally this is getting into the subsidence vectors that were you know tectonic motions and that type of thing uh, or dare I say intra frame tectonic motions which are the deformities within you know the simplified uh, tectonic motions you know the the uh, the warping of the pla- you know the plate is like rotating but it's also bending as it rotates you know the, and this is all stuff that NGS does they give it to us they give us these models this is in the background we're already doing it it's just a matter of like, is it got enough of a noise or an uncertainty in the modeling that it impacts how we measure things and we see it? And in those noise, or our precision with our technology keeps getting smaller and smaller and smaller. And what you end up doing is you measure more and more and more noise, or not a noise, systematic effect. What was noise in the past is now a systematic effect that you can cancel out mm. in the present. And you need to apply it, otherwise, it's going to screw up your measurements. And that's the brave new territory that we're going into. However, that's geodesy. That's not geodetic surveying. Geo- geodetic surveying says, use your geoid model. Use your HTTP model, your heim- horizontal time-dependent uh, positioning model in the background. I don't have to understand plate tectonics. I'm not a scientist. But I can make sure HTTP is on in the background. And I don't wanna, I do not want to apply it twice. Because if I apply it twice, a correction of a correction is an error. <laughs> Does that make sense? That's
1: exactly what I was going to ask you, because if you do everything right, just like you're describing, right. but the next person comes along and doesn't do it the exact same way that you've done it, he's going to come up with a
0: different um, solution. That will not be same answer twice. Correct. And I will call that an error. I, I remember back in the day, this is something I saw, somebody had you a know, state plan, and they're like, oh, bring state plan to ground. So they did. And then the, the client got his state plan to ground. They thought it was still a state plan, so they brought it to ground. This is ground ground. So it got scaled twice. So it got scaled twice. So, you know, nominally grid was below the surface of the earth by 800 feet, let's just say. And now they took and they put the grid at the surface of the earth. And then when the client got it, they didn't know what they had. So they put it 800 feet in the air and it's equally scaled the opposite direction. And it's, you know, instead of being, you know, surface measurements are a foot and a half long in said mile. Now they're a foot and a half short Mm -hmm. instead of being zero, which is what they're trying to do. So they had grid grid or they had ground ground you know, they they over-applied it. So it's, you know, and and you see that too. It's like, you know, people are like, hey, we're not button pushers. You need to know the the fundamentals. I hear this all the time in various discussions. Um, I'm absolutely an advocate of learning this stuff, knowing how to do it. How do you know your data collector is giving you the right answer if you didn't longhand it or at least calculate it in a separate, independent way?
1: Ghost in the machine.
0: Ghost in the machine. Yeah, exactly. So get rid of those ghosts. I mean, should a CGS know how to longhand state plane coordinates? Should a CGS know how to longhand, uh, you know, I don't know, like calculating a geodesic or, or calculating, uh, you know, some sort of like deflection angle from the meridian, et cetera. You know, it's like, you know, all these, you know, fancy geodetic stuff. Yes, I think they should learn it once at least and be able to demonstrate it on a test at the 70% level. Mm. You know, so you don't have to be perfect. You know, you got four of those questions, get one of them right. You know, type of thing, or yeah I don't know. You get three of them, get one of them right, right. and you pass. You know, it's like you're not gonna, you're not going to fail the whole test because you failed, you know, you know, two thirds of your calculation things that were super hard. But they should be on the test because you should have been exposed to that at least once. Do I longhand calculate this stuff on a daily basis? Of course not. I use a computer. I'm not an idiot. <laughs> It's efficient, <laughs>
2: right? You know, but well, let me let me ask you this. I, I need to I need to bring this back to my my small brain. And what you're talking about is and tell me tell me if I'm off base here. But you know, I like the analogy of okay, in this room, okay, we're flat. But then as soon as we start to get outside, so uh, and the and I think and I'd like to hear that your perspective on the accuracy of the tools that we're using to measure. So uh, we always hear it. Okay, well this whatever it is, that's plus or minus a tenth or plus or minus a hundredth or whatever it is. So it seems like we're bouncing between how accurate we can measure what it should be versus how accurate the tools we are using deliver it. And uh, are we getting so where what we're talking about, the differences are so small that it that is smaller than the accuracy of the tool we're given i mean we're getting down to if there's a little i mean we're still measure physically measuring something so if there's a little pebble there or i mean all these different modes of error don't they start to play in and start to compound more than if i'm talking about from here to tempe and uh, let's let's think about it. you're talking about random
1: uh, one, one one thing i want to add to that i think it's a really good question what's accurate enough
2: well, and and yeah, and and is it relative to all the other tools that we're giving? Well, hang on, hang on, because I
0: want to I want to clue in on the accurate enough. It depends on what you're doing. Oh, how sure, accurate yeah. How accurate do I have to get that wall from this wall in this room? Probably a quarter inch. That's probably the yeah, accuracy. Yeah. So should I get out here with an Invar tape and do temperature corrections, and Site <laughs> <Right. sat laughs> corrections and do. Uh, you know and try to have some sort of earth curvature correction and et cetera and 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 make sure that I'm exactly level and you know I'm not sloping at all with my tape you know all that. Yeah. You know, it, and if I do that, is the site super gonna get pissed off at me in an hour and a half when I have three walls laid out and he expected me to have all 45 laid out? Yeah, he will. Yeah. And yeah, I'll get fired because that's stupid. Yeah. To go out and try to do all that stuff. I have a quarter inch. I'm gonna get my Stanley Tape measure I bought at Home Depot that's in fractional inches, and I'm gonna do the numbers in my head because there's ninety six eighths in a foot, there's a hundred hundredths, and I'm gonna whoop this thing out, and I'm gonna go home. It's beer thirty, we're done with the job because I did it right, I did it to the specification of what the job was. Right, but I didn't blow five feet in this suite. You know, because that's the problem. The problem isn't, it. did I do it to the 100th or the 1,000th or 3,000th or, you know, whatever. I remember one time I ran a bunch of levels with a uh, regular old 24-power, uh, you know, automatic level. There's nothing fancy. You know, I forget. I don't even remember if I had a number. It was just some, you know, Chicago steel and tape. Level, you know, you go buy it for two hundred dollars. It might even, been, you know, I don't think it was from Home Depot, but I mean, you know, I'm not picking on Home Depot. I'm not trying to violate any sponsors, but you know, you know, some total consumer grade thing or just a leg up and a fiberglass rod. You know, you know the fiberglass rod I'm talking about. And you got that five foot segment, and you go click 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 yep, click click, yep, yep. and there's like five hundreds because you see it. Mm-hmm. You know that I ran levels with that thing, and then somebody was busting my chops about it and then i was like okay i have access to some other equipment i'm gonna have an invar rod and i'm gonna have you know an optical plate you know tilt micrometer that i'm measuring directly i'm actually observing to the tenth of a millimeter that's the resolution of that thing and i ran the levels and i went out and did that and this is you know an old thing many years ago and it was all optical but still it was like you know what my takeaway was i still had random error right I still had random error using that different equipment with a complete, you know, the one was plus or minus a hundredth, maybe more every time I measured something. The other one's plus or minus a tenth of a millimeter, which is, what is that? Not even thousandth of a foot. Um, yeah. But what I did, you know, and then I didn't have closure on that. I still had stuff that didn't close, you know, because I had like, you know, circuit around the outside and I ran two lines across the middle and stuff didn't still add up. It still had to proportion error. It was just to several orders of magnitude smaller, but it was still random error. But what I totally saw in my other leveling circuit was how that random error went up and went down and went back up and went back down. And it was like this eye-opening moment, like the clouds part and the sun shone through. And I was illuminated with you know, the randomness of mathematics in the background. I'm like, aha, I see the random error that's inherent in that other system. You know, and it was like, and and I can see also because of the closures on this new system, it's just several orders of magnitude different. Now, was it appropriate to apply that other piece of equipment out there? You know, eh, I had access to it. So sure, I'll say yes, it was. But should I go buy that kind of equipment to go out and do a job? Because my opinion on equipment, when you buy it, one, I hate debt. Do not go into debt to buy equipment. You know, if there's a takeaway, don't go into debt. I'll say that's on student loan and we were talking earlier about student loans i don't want to get political but um but do not go into debt if you cannot have your piece of equipment pay for itself in a certain period of time which is brief i'll call it like a year and a half that's kind of you know i mean that's you're making money there's you know like you go back to the private sector thing i mean it's like you don't want to buy equipment you're paying it off for 30 years that's absurd you're not going to make you're going to go out of business before you paid it off yeah. but It's like you need to buy exactly the equipment to be able to meet the standards of that job. Going back to this room, quarter inch, two hundredths, you know, whatever, three quarters of a centimeter. I don't care what unit you want to use. That's all you need to do in this room. Now, is that going to cut the mustard for like some thing where you're laying out a super collider? No, probably not. But that's a different job. Right. And that different job, I'm going to bid completely differently than whomping out a little corporate park like we're sitting in right here. That's going to be a completely different cost structure in that. So I don't know if that's helpful in the question that you had, but it's like, I think it's very important because surveyors like engineers, is it engineering to build the most with the most? No, it's engineering to build the most with the least. We're not here to like use every piece of resource we have. We're here to eke out everything we can with the resource, the minimum Mm -hmm. resource that we have. You you have a figure of merit that you're designing a job to, and you do not have any responsibility to go past ten percent above that because that's your little safety factor. But you you know eleven percent that's a, that's a waste of money. Ten percent that's required. Hmm. You know it's like so, you, know, the, you know it's like I think people you know like oh geodetic work you're going to be all this you know all about the exact figure. No, you have error in everything you do. Just like the leveling story I told you about, there's error in both sets of levels. One of them has just a different order of magnitude, that's all. But it still was plus or minus a whole bunch of tenths or you know, tenths of a millimeter, whereas the other one was a whole bunch of hundreds. Because that was the magnitude of the of the measurement that I was doing. And so I'm not sure if I answered your question, but um I guess I was mainly con- curious if as it
2: as the the tools get better, does that inherently make it where you have to account for or error. You mean you're talking about? There's more bulge-
0: systematic effect you can see.
2: Bulging of 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 plates. Yeah, you go you, go, you like go back
0: hundred years ago. Plate tectonics is a theory, and it's not even a theory that people liked. They thought it was false because you couldn't measure it. You right. go back. You go back hundred years ago. You couldn't inter. Uh, well, maybe it's 150 at this point. Um, you could not do interconnection continent to continent. That wasn't existent yet in that era. And, and there's a little bit of argument on that. I mean, you go back, you know, like, you, like what is that thing? You go to Greenwich, and there's the Time Museum, and the guy that, you know, they had all these, like, crazy pendulum clocks, and finally the guy comes out with this little miniaturized thing, and there's your chronometer. Well, in that era, too, they, they had things they could, like, uh, <laughs> I wrote this down, you know, what is geodesy? It's a subset of astronomy and physics. And it was, like, even in that era, because I think that's around the 1500s, if I'm not mistaken. Somebody will Google this after the fact and prove me wrong, but I don't care. It's, like, you know... They had the ability to observe the Jovian moons of Jupiter, which is you know Callisto, Io, Ganymede, and Europa. They could see them, and they they had very very good knowledge of their orbital parameters and the timing that they had. You can go anywhere on this planet and observe the Jovian moons, except for like a couple of months of the year when it's in the sun. But nonetheless, it's like you can go around the planet. Even back in the 1500s, they had knowledge of this, and they could do time across the planet, and they could sync things up. I mean, so it was like that because that was a huge problem. It's like, you know, this longitude problem. On land, it was not a problem because you had little tricks like that. Talk about technology. Mm-hmm. You know, that, that there's a technology that existed in the past. But you couldn't do it at sea. You couldn't do that effectively. And that's the whole thing with the chron- chronometers. That You know, I'd built the little clock so you could do the longitude, correct, you know, correctly at sea. But when you're out there floating around at eight knots in a ship, I mean, it's like, eh, we'll get there tomorrow. You know, that's okay. It's still within the, uh, you know, still within the measurement tolerance of the job you're doing. Right. You know, measuring yeah. stuff relative to something, same answer twice. You know, yeah, their same answer might've been four nautical miles or even 20 nautical miles. You're but you're still going to get there because you're going And in the you're right not going to run aground. Yeah. Right. Because that's the, you know, you don't, you know, you know, the name of the game is, you know, I want to, I want to show up in port. I don't want to be at the bottom. I don't want to be dead. You know, that's not good for business. Yeah. You know, and it's like, you know, so... In that era, you're going at that speed, that's just fine. But then you come, you fast forward to today, you know, why were we doing Earth gravity models? It's because we're shooting ballistic missiles at each other or conceptualizing the technology to be able to do it. That's your early things with the gravity because if you, a ballistic missile is flying in the gravity field. It's ballistic. It's not powered flight. You know, cruise missiles, different animals. But ballistic missiles are just this dumb thing lobbing through the air, the fuel is spent. So you have to know what the gravity field it is because you're subject to it. So if we want to be able to ballistically send a missile from South Dakota to Moscow, you know, as it were, we've got to have this knowledge of a world geodetic system that's got a world, you know, EGM 80 or, you know, whatever it was in that era, you know, earth gravitational model, you had to have those things for, you know, what you were trying to do. What's the error ellipse on a nuclear missile? 20 miles. What's the air ellipse nice. on artillery? You know, you oh, go back yeah. to... You think it's yeah, like... Doesn't
1: it depend on... <laughs> Depends on the round, sure. Yeah.
0: It's like you know, like back when I was in the Navy, I was in the CBs. We had 81 millimeter mortars, 20 meter, 20 meter kill radius. If I get within 20 meters of my target, I blow it up because that's the shock wave that comes off that round. It's a little 10-pound round, if I remember right. Um, 81 millimeters. That's how big around that damn thing is. It's huge. So if I'm a forward observer doing artillery calculations and I'm just sitting there, you know, roughly distancing this thing and calculating everything in UTM, which is a hell of a lot more grid to ground problem than our state plane does for surveyors. It's like my error ellipse is 20 meters. If I get within 20 meters, I achieve my goal. You know, it's like, so yeah, grid to ground doesn't matter in that, in that instance, you know, this error in measurement, I'm using like some little optical device like a, you know, I'm trying to remember some of the different little optical rangefinder things they had. And, you know, now to the different techniques you had to to do ranging, you're only trying to get within 20 meters, you know? So it's like, but you fast forward to today and I want to go out there with my laser scanner and I want to, you know, do utility clearances, blah, blah, blah. It's like we're, <laughs> we're at a higher precision, but now because we're at this higher precision, there's all these other little effects that are going to come into it. Like I, I think about, um, building information modeling or uh, digital twins. That's the, that's the latest great. Everybody wants to talk about digital twins. Well, it's like, you know, go back to my firework analogy in the fog in the wind. It's like, how long is that digital twin pertinent without geodetic modeling? If it's not drifting with the, te- the plate tectonics, if it's not, you know, deforming with the interframe velocities, if it's not sinking with the subsidence, you know, all of that, that digital twin is gonna come out of synchronization with reality, in not terribly distant future, that's geodesy. That's 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 geodetic surveying right there. Is like, Again. did I put on my report when I measure the survey? It's not a shot in time. Yeah, yeah shot shot in time. survey epic coordinate. <clears throat> yeah, yeah, that was like you know reduced down to a reference epic coordinate. Those are the buzzwords you're going to see coming out here in a couple of years. That's what they mean. Going back to the test questions, I want to test Kent because we all know about Kent. I want to test him and make sure he knows to give me reference upper coordinates, not survey upper coordinates, because I don't want to screw that up. Because if that period of time is ten years and the motion was two centimeters, that's two decimeters. That's that's eight inches, you know, more or less. You know, you know. I mean, I don't want to be off by eight inches in my digital twin when I go out there with my little robot that's going to go poop a conduit in the right spot, which now is the wrong spot because. I didn't factor my metadata correctly. There's what you're testing on a CGS. And what's Does really, that make
2: sense? What I, what, what I just want to point out is we talked a lot about, you mentioned the, the underground. <laughs> the this, microphone stand, Stupid here. microphone stand, The, the underground. Talking about budgets. Uh, uh, under, <laughs> underground conduits and digital twins and having all that mapped and how so far we are behind that we don't have all of our underground infrastructure mapped. But what I'm now thinking of is, okay, that's great that, Belgium has all their underground utilities mapped 10 years ago. If they try to use that 10 years from now, that is not going to be in the same spot, right? Like you're not going to have that same. It, here, here's an it, irony. It's that not it, the same. It's not going to be the same. It was, what? it was where it was 20 years ago. But
1: if you have the metadata that was used at that point in time, uh, you, then can you, you can repeat it. Or do an an,
0: you correct it? Here's another fundamental. I'm trying to think who always says this. Um, Oh, I can picture his face. He's one of the guys at, at NGS. And 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 he's talking about like, you know, the, the error estimates within these models. And something he always comes back to. Oh, I'm gonna I'm you know, I can't remember his name off the top of my head. In a model, there's also an error estimate, and there's also uncertainty over time. So that's where I was like, you know, the firework goes off and it's drifting and it's expanding and it's fading. Eventually, your error estimates moving data into the future fades away for one reason or another either that error ellipse grew too big to meet the project parameters or it faded away you know it it exceeded its shelf life you know that was assigned in some capacity some of the stuff is brave new territory i don't have an answer for you on how they're going to do this i just i'm just like my weird mind that that's that crazy techno music that i gave you that's how i think about this stuff you know i'm just like sitting there listening to crazy you know music that's you know really psychedelic and you're teasing me about my really weird old Floyd stuff and you're ah, we did Floyd two episodes ago, you know, but I mean, it's like, you know, look at what those guys were doing and the expansion of their mind and thinking of variations of, you know, mathematical principle, as it were, uh, it was not accidental. they had a fractal on the cover of that album. I was going to tie that in Uh somehow, but you know, it, it, you know, it's what I'm, what I'm trying to describe is like, you know, the, okay. So eventually data is going to have a shelf life for one reason or another. Um, and that shelf life is no longer going to apply. But then juxtapose that to our measurement capabilities. Cause I used to think about this too, like, you know, and, and Kent I'm sure, you know, cause he's the same era that I am. We were out there brutally measuring individual points and doing line work. And, you know, it's like, if you got 50 points an hour you were doing good, you know, it's like on your topo. And then now look at scanners, 50 mm-hmm. points an hour. Are you kidding me? Mm-hmm it's 50 points a millisecond, or, or it's 500 points a millisecond. It's like, you know, and now look at the ability we have to capture data. Um, Or like your new employer back when I worked there, whatever it was almost 20 years ago, it's like, we were doing a job down at Sky Harbor Airport, and we scanned it. And the reason we're scanning is because they're building some sort of big international walkway 70 feet in the air. How in the heck am I going to get up there and measure 70 feet in the air? Aha, laser scanners, remote sensing, you know, and so it's like, here we come we we do all this work we capture all this data it is fresh there is no shelf life because it's yesterday and we designed the or the company did and you know, whoever our clients were etc i was just some lowly surveyor you know and they're going yep gps won't work under the the roof <laughs> we're gonna have to traverse in here with total station you know because you know i'm bringing practicality and levity into this job you know because that's what we had to do we had to traverse in there um you know, it's like, you know, cause GPS won't work underneath, you know, the terminal four parking garage that's over the top of that terminal in there. Um, <clears throat> but those things are, you know, they're kind of working together. It's like, yeah, we, we might be losing a lot of historic data because it just doesn't have a shelf life in the future, but look at the way that we capture data in a modern sense. It's like, like you know, going back to my day job, we did airborne lighter for the first time in 2015. And holy cow, is that a tough thing to justify and and get to have management swallow and fund. And then in 2020, we did it again. And now they're like, we want it everywhere. How do we have it everywhere? This is great data. Holy cow, we've used it for this and this and this and this and this. It's wonderful data. But it has a shelf life. Because every flood event you have, it washes out. Now it's different. <clears throat> every time somebody comes through and they build a new subdivision, well, now it's different. You've got to go out and capture new data. And... And, you know, so it's like, you know, that's good news for the mapping guys because they're going to stay in business. But it's like, why am I worried about trying to go back and capture all this old data? And, And that's, that you know, like you can get into a whole bunch of, like, interesting little things. Like, how do you take an agency that is rooted or built originally in NAD 27, NGVD 29, legacy information, and how do you modernize them? Survey modernized within, I don't know, pretty damn soon after I got there in 2011. And in 2015, we were solidly a NAT-83, 1110, NAVD 88 shop, unequivocally. All of our modern data was that. We fully modernized and surveyed. We were still delivering products to various people and whatever they wanted. Somebody wants to add 27 and GV-29, fine. I will model it backwards in a very rigorous, systematic way and give it to you as a product, but I'm not going to constrain my control networks to that data. It's garbage. I can't do it. It's geometrically unsound. I don't, you know, you can use all sorts of, you know, different uh, descriptors of it. I cannot model backwards. If it's a small enough project, sure, that's getting into, you know, it like when is plane surveying, plane surveying, and when is it geodetic? Again, my opinion, it's all geodetic because it's like even the postage stamp of this room has to be stuck within a building, stuck within a city, stuck within a county, within a state, within a nation, on a planet that I'm measuring using truly geodetic tools like GPS, because they fly around the whole planet. you know. So it's like, um, even modernizing, we internally are modernized, and we internally have a policy that says we go with whatever comes out. Because every project we do, we do it with others currently out there. When they went from GEOID 12 to 18, and January 1, 2018, I forget when they came out with it exactly. But I mean, it's like, whenever they came out with it, we used it. That was the new thing we were using on that project. And the old data was something else. And we had to bring it forward. We could do it for a while. However, eventually, really, really, really old data that might have been done 30 years ago, it's almost easier to just go remeasure all of it um, than it is to try to, like, model it forward. At some point, like I was trying to say with you know, the laser scanners and that kind of thing. You just go remeasure everything. Mm. It's efficient. Fly your drone, you know, use your mobile scanner, what, you know, whatever technology you've got, you're gonna get new data. At some point, this this legacy data, you actually almost anymore is like, you know, I do something on the ditch. I've got one elevation that's NGVD 29. The rest of the jobs NAVD 88. I do one little conversion on that piece of information And it goes into my modern, current job. And the engineers love it because it's not, you know, it's like, what would you like? Four data points or four million? Do you want every single thing that's actually what's out there today? Or do you want this thing off this drawing from 60 years ago, almost? And every time they want the new data. All the new engineers that are coming in, all the new guys that are getting hired, they understand BIM. They understand... Uh, Revit and they understand, you know, all these these technologies. They know how to use CAD. They can do it in three dimensions. You know, I mean, it's like they understand that stuff. They want it. Like we have machine control on most of our maintenance crews now. Not all of them. Some of them holdouts. They want to go out there and blade it by eye, and they do a good job. But that skill set is retiring, literally. And the newer guys want to come in with machine control, which means a model, which means it's tied to control, which means they've got to have a base, and they got to put it on something. Guess what? It's our control and we only do our control in 93, 11, 10. Yeah. And well, then, you know, Yeah. anyway.
1: I mean, it's got to be constrained one way.
0: Well, it got to be relative, too. Right. Going back to that three things. Yeah. Measure stuff, relative to, same answer twice. Psst.
1: I love the folks at Bad Elf. Bad Elf GNS receivers deliver affordable accuracy through easy-to-use hardware supported by continuously evolving firmware, apps, and cloud services. Founded in 2010, Bad Elf created the first made-for-iOS external GPS accessory and now enables high-performance location services for all mobile platforms.
2: Man, that's amazing. Did you also know that all of your new GNSS receivers can be accurate, affordable, and flexible? The Bad Elf Flex offers a trailblazing survey-grade receiver that delivers consistent accuracy at a highly affordable price. I'm going to stress affordable price.
1: (laughs) Yeah. You got to check it out. Many people think companies go into business to create products and services, but at Bad Elf, they strive to create loyal customers. To find out more, simply go to badelf.com and let them know the Geoholics sent you for the baddest discounts available. Let's talk about, just real quick, I mean the things we're talking about are, are pretty complex. I mean, maybe for you, it's not complex, but for most people, it's it's complex mathematics. Now, a number of surveyors make a living out of just doing lot surveys, working out of their house, right? Do they right. need to be concerned about these things that we're talking about?
0: Depends on the client. Okay. I mean, it's like, if I'm just doing lot surveys out of my house, who's my client? Do they have to record to the county? Does the county have a requirement? Mm-hmm. Or the city? If the city says it has to be on this system... I guess you do, you know. Like I was talking to a, a well, Steve McLean down in Tucson, mm-hmm. yep. and he's like, "Hey, you know, I've got you know whatever equipment I got can't even log data anymore, but it does RTK, and I can do all lots of bets I want all day long." And he's not wrong, and 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 a, and I can remember having this conversation twenty years ago, and people were like, "I don't want to buy GPS equipment." Hey, while well, you're up, I know you just said, <laughs> <laughs> "I don't want to buy GPS equipment." I'm like, "Did you buy a photogrammetry plane?" No, no. But do you offer photogrammetry to clients? Mm-hmm. Yes. How do you do it? If you don't own your own photogrammetry plane, by the, you know the suppressive requirement to have orthophotos on your project, oh, well, we contract it. I was like, why don't you contract your GPS work? Yeah. I actually did that for a while when I was back running my own company. Mm-hmm. Thank you so much. Um, thank you for the beer for those of you who can't see. <laughs> um, you know, it, just contract it. You know, it's like that's to- or from a city managerial standpoint have enough passive control out there that you support all levels of access to your spatial reference system. And I would say the same thing back to NGS. And I will tomorrow when we're talking about that, that's one of my major talking points, is a benefit of NSRS modernization, National Spatial Reference System modernization is a simplified and streamlined and improved access to putting data into their system blue booking as it were blue booking um Mm -hmm. and okay so from an ngs managerial standpoint of (sighs) defining the nsrs defining the national spatial reference system they're only going to do it with cores because there's 170 people more or less at that agency and they can't go survey the country not with 170 people but they can manage you know reference stations and then that's the defining capacity of the system. Then we, the people, the constituents, can come in and do our passive control work. We can go out and do our static surveys using core stations that we may be contributors and and operators and co, um, you know, you know, uh, you know, uh, act, act participants in the active system. The act, you know the core system. Mm-hmm. And then on the passive side, because we need it, because yeah, there's still going to be you know that mom and pop shop, as it were, that wants to only run a total station, mm-hmm. and they need the two points or you know whatever. I'm, I don't know. I'm going to get into subtlety of like how many points do you need in the PLSS? Let's call it five. Is that right? One, two, three, four. Five. Yeah, it's five. You know, for a quarter. You know, excluding center of section. So you need a multiple number of points. Um, so this mom-and-pop survey shop can go out and tie stuff that has geodetically pertinent values on it in a passive sense, and they can still be in state plane, as it were, with their total station. You don't need GPS to you be in a geodetic environment. Um, actually, I did that at a, a central chapter thing. I did a presentation on that. I was running a job with a total station in grid using my total station, and I just showed the math. Because it's a setting in most of our software. Yeah. I mean, that that one was the, you know, the yellow kind or the Trimble kind. But, you know, almost all these things have that. I mean, it's just like they're reducing every single surface measurement to the grid. Oh, that was one of your questions. Can you explain the difference between grid and ground in the context of surveying and mapping? Well, I, I, where I want to go with that, sure. that more
1: specifically is <clears throat> there's a lot of surveyors out there
0: that, um, you know,
1: hop out of their truck, flip on their GPS, log into a VRS system. Sure survey all day long, bring it back into the office, apply a scale factor that a lot of, a lot of times the ghost in the machine has derived. Could be. And uh, they, they go about their day. Are they doing it wrong?
0: Right and wrong is only. Well, it's a relative term, right? There's <laughs> a definition of regulation. Yeah. If there's no regulation that says how you do it, then there's no wrong. Sure. But if the client said, I want stay plane and they scaled it to ground. Yeah just like I said previously, cause I saw that in a municipality. It actually was Chandler back in the day. Um, and the you know city of Chandler said, we want state playing around. And the client did, or I mean the surveyor did that. They did a GPS survey and they, everything was at grid. And then they threw an Excel and multiplied by 1.0001513276983, you know, God knows how many. Yeah. And gave them the numbers, but they still looked like state playing cause they were big numbers. And so they scale its to ground, with another scale factor. <laughs> now you got ground ground, and now you're long instead of short. Yep. But you're not unity. And then actually, my little snarky comment was like, you know, what's the difference between grid and ground? You guys see the Matrix? Mm-hmm. Neo's in there. Yeah. He's like the you know the little bald kid with the lady with the cookies. I didn't fully understand that scene, but anyway, the kid's on the floor with the you know the spoon, and he's bending the spoon with his mind. You remember that scene? Yeah. And he says to you, remember what he said to Neo? To bend the spoon, first you have to realize there's no spoon. <coughs> there is no ground. This is an abstraction. This is a, this is an assumption the world is a cube, but and we, it's not. we base all our surveys on ground. But they're not. There is no ground. If you go up, you know, like, what's the radius of the earth? Oh, More my. or less. 21 million feet. If you go up 21 feet, you're a part per million different curve Different radius than you were at mm-hmm. the lower elevation. You got a job that's got, you know, uh, 200 feet of relief. That's 10 parts per million of curvature distortion in your job. Is 10 parts per million significant? Is the next major question. And if I'm laying out these walls and they got to be plus or minus a quarter mm-hmm. inch and 12 feet, no. The answer is no. It doesn't matter. I can't measure it. Not with my Stanley tape from Home Depot that I bought this morning because I forgot my AM tape again. Mm-hmm. And they told me if I forget my equipment, I'm fired. Doggone it. I'm going to go buy another one and I'm going to lay out the job. It's not a, you know, it's not a decimal foot tape, but it's a tape. Nonetheless, And I get the job done. How many times you been there, Kent? I've been there more than once, you know, where I had to do something to make it happen. And I was, you know, the, the, the professional way of saying that is like I went out there and I properly assessed the accuracy requirements of the job. And I professionally made a decision that was, you know, within accordance of the compliance of the contract and I can still bill, which is correct. But I made a decision on what I was able to do. Like in um, ten parts per million, is is it's not even the the thickness of the damn line that's printed on the tape. Right. You can't measure it. It's it's <coughs> five hundredths in a mile. A mile. How big is this building? Five hundred feet. Well, that's the width of the lot. Maybe. Actually, it's probably not even that not big. That a either, lot. Yeah. It's like three hundred feet. Yeah. The building itself is two hundred. You can't measure that that kind of distortion in that distance. It doesn't matter in mm-hmm. a localized sense. It does matter when I'm computing coordinates from a zero, zero in a Cartesian coordinate sense, that's down in the Gulf of Mexico, or I'm sorry, Gulf of California. It's off a rocky point. That's where our zero, zero is in this state plane zone we're setting in. Hundreds of miles away, million, actually the important thing is it's a million feet away. And so 10 parts in a million is 10 feet. <coughs> So my northing is an error in t- by 10 feet if Correct. I don't do it correctly. Yeah. In, in in one way to look at it, if sure. I start scaling things around and that kind of stuff. And what's your typical grid to ground here in the valley? It's 150 parts per million where we're sitting. So more or less the, the, the grid to ground scale factor that I would compute right where we're sitting here is 150 feet. That's not even this lot anymore. That's that lot over there. That's a problem. I've mm-hmm. seen that happen. I saw a PetSmart get built like that. It got built on the wrong lot at one of those, you know, strip mall things. Yep. And they were lucky because they switched with Bed, Bath & Beyond or whatever it was. (laughs) And, and, and they got to swap lots because otherwise Bed, Bath & Beyond would have been the proud new owners of a PetSmart because that's (laughs) cadastral law. You know, you can come in and build whatever the hell you want on my lot and I own it when you're done. Yeah. But those guys were cool and they, they got along because somebody built the thing on the wrong lot. I think that might not have been a, grid to ground problem, but it could have been. That's the kind of th- you know. It's like if I'm 150 feet off, I'm the other side of that wall over there, which is the lot line. Yeah, And at, at those coordinates. When you're talking at about those millions, yeah. Right. exactly. Okay. And if you're in, two, if you're in Flagstaff, it's worse because that's two million. Yeah, you're in Tucson. Nah, it's not too so bad, but you're probably still not in the right spot. Right, you didn't meet your setback. Yeah, you know, it's like you know, you get into a practical sense, it's like if I if I put the coordinates into my collector, you know, they, like, what's the what's the big thing about you know, people ridiculing surveys. Ah, oh, you're just button pushers. Well, if we're analyzing the stuff, if we know these fundamentals. That's my point. My point is you need to know these fundamentals at least once on a test so you can go out and check it the first time and then knock yourself out. Go out and do production and make, make some money. But you better know what you're doing the first time, the first time you did it. You oh, better the, know how to and, do the In the check. example
2: you gave, it's, no, I got there, I got out of my truck. Boom, boom, boom. Get back to the office, pull it in, apply the factor, and I'm done. But there's no, there's no check. There's no okay. Is this actually, you know, can I get it, get to the same answer one other way right. to make sure I'm on the right? I, lot.
0: I wrote a whole article on that American Surveyor, and it was like getting off the wrong foot. I think the title of the article, and it was like it was just tragedy after tragedy after tragedy on the stupid building. And I, you know, in the article, I said, you know, you know, I can't tell you where it is. Downtown Phoenix. So they approached the Sky Harbor Airport. That's where the thing is. There's enough breadcrumbs in the article. You can figure it out if you're smart, but you know, it's like, that's what it was. And it was like, it was a 20 story building and they lost a floor. Well, that's 5%. What's the profit on a project like that? The last 10%, what does that actually mean? It means bankruptcy. Mm. That's what that means. You lost your profit. You lost half of your profit. Half the reason you were there is now gone because somebody put it a couple feet over because of, you know, a whole... Well, that, that, that was a scale... It was still a scale thing because it was wrong foot. Two yeah. parts per million off instead of 150. But still, nonetheless, nonetheless it's like, mm. you know, you need to know your geodesy You need to know when the corrector applies and when it doesn't apply. It's important. yeah It has real-world consequences, you know. And maybe in my career, I've seen more of them because I could pay attention. But, it, oh, you asked me earlier, what got me into this? The terror of doing it wrong, mm. you know. Mm. Oh, I remember. I ran into a gentleman. There's a control station here in the valley. It's called N-474. It's a first-order vertical, and it's also an FBN point, et cetera. And uh, Leroy Palmer, he's now deceased, but he was a neat guy that lived right next to that point, and he had this huge house with an observatory up on the top of it. Hmm. And... He sees me out there, you know, I've got my grubby hat, and my dirty boots, and all that. And he comes out and he starts talking to me a little bit about uh, astronomy and this and that. And I start blah, 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 like I do. And he's like, You are a neat guy. Come here. I want to show you something. And he hauls me up to the top of his house and he shows me his telescope. Up at, you know, that he's got up you there. Know, we were doing, you know, like, you know, various oculations and, you know, different you know, observations. And I was like, I was like, Larry, what got you into astronomy? He's like, fear of death. <laughs> I'm like, I'll bite. What does that mean? He's like, well, you know, I was a, I uh, I think it was B-52 bomber navigator that, you know, this is Cold War stuff that's going on. And he's flying up over the Arctic Circle and doing navigations. And if you screw up your navigations over the Arctic Circle, what happens? You crash and die. Yes. <laughs> Fear of <laughs> <Right>. death. <laughs> you know it's like you know you know, like you know like well, is is geodesy important? Is astronomy important? Is navigation important? Yes, it is. There's definitely some things where it's like make or break. Neat guy. And It was like and I I put a position up on you know one of the the stanchions on his telescope because he had a he, had he worked probably out loved lot. it. Yeah, no, he he bought us lunch and he was a he was a totally cool dude. You know, he passed away a number of years ago, pancreatic cancer. But but so it was just like what a neat story. You know, it's like what a neat little piece of history. Yeah. You know, it's like, is geodesy important? Yeah, absolutely. It has an absolute value that that you need to have. It's like, is geometry important? Is algebra important? Is calculus important? You know, you can go on and on. Yeah, all of them are important. You know, it's like in their own right. Do I do calculus on a daily basis? No, but those principles are embedded in my brain and I can't help it. Mm -hmm. And I make better decisions because of it. You know, and you're coming back to like, how do I budget? Well, the way I was originally budgeting was I was sitting there visualizing this curve of decay of equipment and trying to figure out a realistic life cycle. Because I know the longer I go, the more probable it is that it's going to fail. That's calculus. That's me doing calculus in my head. That's a fundamental of calculus. In my head, this notion that you know it's not a straight line. Mm-hmm. If I go double the time, it's half the value. No, if I go double the time, it's a quarter of the value. You know, it's this non-linear functionality that's going on. So do I do a calculus on a daily basis? Hell no, I can't even differentiate or integrate or any of that anymore. That was 20 plus years ago. But they, the principles are embedded in my psyche, and I'm making better decisions because of it. Same thing. CGS. Why do I want to have a CGS? Because I want to imprint on your psyche as a surveyor, as a geodetic surveyor, a geodetically minded surveyor doing good work for our society. I don't want to get all patriotic and you know, JFK is not what you can do for your country, but you know, or, you know, or not what your country can do for you, but what you can do for your country. You want to improve our society, you learn geodesy and you'll do better work and we'll have better societies because of it. Because these technologies that we have, like digital twins and like the point clouds and all that, how do we make that have more value? How do we as a survey industry not get completely eclipsed by you know geospatial side of the, the table? We bring something to it. We bring a value to it. If we have no value, we will cease to exist.
2: It's your civic duty to understand. Absolutely. Geoit. That's
0: why okay. I joined the navy when I was seventeen. But it's you know, also, civic, I mean, that's, that's the, why I do jury duty now and again. I,
1: I think one of the most important things you mentioned also is that you have to be aware <laughs> or know when to apply these concepts and when not to.
0: Right. Yeah. You have to understand. understand huge. It's huge. Like, I mean, I think that that's a huge takeaway. And it's not that complicated, yeah. because it's like I think everybody should do a state plane coordinate calculation longhand once. Oh yeah, yeah. no, I, I agree. Including with all you, that. yeah, including you, absolutely. Because it's yeah. like it's like you, you do you do it longhand once, you do a transverse Mercator with all the terms and da 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 da, and yeah. and you write it out in Word like I did back when I was teaching that geodesy class at Phoenix College. It's like eighteen pages. It's absurd, but it's doable. It's not that hard. You you know, like I did it. Look at me. <laughs> nothing special. There was like, there was I a think, whole bunch the of 90 minutes. Will uh, you're special. <laughs> disagree <Brian>. with <laughs> you. The are that <laughs> special. There were a lot of people in the class that, that, because I, I said, I yeah. want you to see this It's to see, you know, it's a, it's a one fifty level class. I'm not going to bust your chops. You know, like if you try it, you know, if, if you don't do it, you're not going to fail. Yeah, That was my opinion back in that day. It's the same basic opinion today, but I was like, if you do it, you're going to be a better person for it. And I worked my ass off to prepare the document for you to study it and you know it's like you know part of part of this is like you're coming to this class take away as much as you can and it's like if you can take away doing this calculation once you know you did it because like then i went through and i programmed it into excel i programmed it you know a couple of different or google sheets i've done it in there too it's like you know i figured out how to program ecf into into google sheets one time it was like that that's a whole story my youngest daughter was in the hospital when she was a month old and I had to, I, I, this is, I was working at DEA. So, and I'm over there at 24th street and Campbell Park. She's down at Phoenix children's 31 days old. There's a whole insurance thing about that too. It's like, Oh, your insurance expired at 30 days. Cause you didn't notify. So I was like, I was the damn company newsletter. <laughs> what do you mean I don't have insurance? You know, it's like, and they finally fixed it. But anyway, so I'm spending the night every night down at Phoenix children's hospital for like, I don't know, 14 days, 16 days, something like that. And then I was going to work, you know, so I'm not going very far away. I'm going up and I'm, I'm going to work all day. And then at night I was going down, I had the night shift. Hardly slept at all and I, I did ECF on my laptop while I'm sitting there next to my, my, my beautiful young daughter that I had to like, you know, have hardly any interaction with She's just sitting there sleeping, you know, it's like, but you know, it was like, I, I just had this opportunity, this weird period in my life and I programmed ECF into my computer, you know, it was like, and, and now I can do ECF longhand, you know, and then that's the kind of thing I want to share because that's the, you know, that's why I want to go to, to NSPS CST. And, I, you know, it's like, okay, that's not CST level one. I'll give you that. That's not level two. I'll give you that. It's probably not bad for level three to do that. And that whole level four thing, yeah, absolutely. And then level five, which is, you know, CGS as it were. Yeah, absolutely. I think that should be on mm-hmm. the test. I think you should do longhand, one of them. Oblique mercator, transverse mercator, linebacker, conic, whatever. You should do one of those. You should be able to do one of those. I mean, it's it's, it's a rite of passage. Right of passage. You know, you know I that's mean, right. come on. I like you know? it. You know, but is, but is it required in a daily basis? Absolutely not. But what is it? To, I don't know. We can get off on the whole, what's the point of a test or a degree or any of that type of thing. It's a rite of passage. What's, um? I mean, yeah. time's flying by here. We, we, <laughs> we've hardly scratched
1: the surface some of the things we wanted to get to. But before we let you get out of here, I do want to get an update from you on um, the modernization project that you're working on. Which one? As it <laughs> pertains to, well, as it pertains to the new state plane coordinates that are going to be. Um, I mean well, it? was twenty twenty two. What is it now?
0: Mid twenty twenty five is the latest okay official thing. Yep. That's what they're saying. Mid, meaning yep. well June. Summer Solstice. What's today? Oh Sean? interesting.
2: Ooh, is it today?
0: Yes. So if this were twenty twenty five, we would have Interesting. Everything. No, I'm teasing. Um I don't even know if it was either today or it's yesterday. Today, I believe. Yeah. It's actually like a, a specific instant in yeah, time. Yeah, there's it's a when time. the earth is at its perigee okay. in the Orbit, uh, I think, is what it is. So it's like it's a different time every year. If
1: it's during the show, <laughs> we're, gonna, we're gonna have, I to have do a it.
0: book on that. I could have brought that. Out. We're gonna have
1: to do a shot or something. When is it? <laughs>
0: <a shot? laughs> I gotta drive
2: home. get go uh, on. It was at seven fifty-seven a.m. this morning.
0: Oh, really? So is that UT oh, time or Arizona? Wow. Arizona time? Arizona time. Okay, there you Because it's a specific cool. time and it drifts every year. Mm-hmm. Yeah, look it's up analemma. And it, and it goes between, between
2: two or three day. Or I think it's like the between the twentieth and the twenty second.
0: It's and on a five day cycle or a five year cycle because. Or, no, I'm sorry, four-year cycle, because there's your leap years. Yeah. yeah, you can do a whole thing on Gregorian yeah. calendars and all that, and every 400 years this, and, you know, blah, blah, blah. And you get leap seconds, and then, uh, mm-hmm. yeah, whatever. Time's mm-hmm. a fun one. <laughs> it is. <laughs> so what's going and on? Then, and what's if you get out to the James Webb tape, uh, Space Telescope that we are talking about before, that's so far away from this gravity field, time is faster yes. than it is here. And they're at a Lagrange point. I was like, you know, you guys like muted my mic earlier. Lame, because you had to make (laughs) your money. And I was like holding up my sign. I was like, they put me on mute. Um, But it was like, it was in the background going, like, oh, it's a (sighs) Lagrange point, which is like a gravity well that I I digress. That's astronomy stuff.
1: But so what is the update, though, that you can provide us?
0: Mid 2025. And they will not have all the tools and they will not have, they'll have most of the products because the whole thing was holding on. There's a project called GRAV-D, which is gravity for the redefinition redefin- of the vertical data. I'm butchering what the acronym stands for. But you can Google it. It's on their website. And it was aerial gravity in conjunction. So they have an airplane with a gravimeter that they fly over everywhere and do gravity measurements. And they have an absolute gravimeter and a relative gravimeter in ground campaigns they do on the surface of the Earth. And they've got space-based gravity which is like your grace satellites. And again, not a geodesist here. I just read a couple of things and you guys can too. Come on, you can read. (laughs) I know you can, please do it. So anyways, like there's these three different ways they're doing gravity. And then, you know, that got into the whole question of like, you know, do we want ellipsoid height or do we want something else, which is like this whole notion of sea level and Gauss. And it's the same number everywhere. So that, you know, the gravity field is now Measured And we know what it is because we measured it. It's not approximated, but we know what it is because we actually measured it. So why do we have better data? Because we had better and more measurements. That's all that it is. Interesting. It's a technology thing. So that project got delayed because of COVID, something else. There was a Great Lake thing, and I don't know, some Canadian thing. I know Arizona had a weird thing because, like, there's this huge part of us that's a bomber range, the Barry Goldwater Gunnery Range. Mm. They didn't fly. I don't know. They had to get military clearance because you can't fly over that. The military tends to frown on flying over that. And yeah, they either think you're a drug runner or a terrorist, and either way, they shoot you down. Yeah. So, um, yeah, but Arizona got done. I think it was before 2018 because that geoid 18 Well, yeah, no, I remember. I remember being a part of those conversations with you. Yeah, well, geoid yeah. 18 has gravity data embedded within it, so our geoid 18 is a wicked cool geoid, It's very correct sort of, because there's a whole subset of, like, what do they call it? Artifacts within the NAVD88 passive mark constraints that, you know, it's actually warped. But, you know, the sciency stuff behind it was a lot better. So it had a lot more quality to it. Um, And it is a better model for various reasons. But that was the big driver behind the red button being pressed to get to the new datum, plus tools. They're also developing a lot of tools like Natref which is the I'm trying to remember what that acronym stands for. It's the coordinate transformation tool. Um not Netref. NCAT. That's what it is. It's the the NGS coordinate something transformation. I forget what the acronym stands for, but NCAT, which is like if you guys remember Vertcon and Nadcon and all those software tools that were out there, um that's what, you know, that's the whole coordinate conversion stuff going from one realization to another, going from twenty-seven to eighty-three, et cetera. You know that type of stuff, uh, modeling. So you know, again, I'm going to go back to that. It's a firework in the fog and the wind. You know, if I've got old firework data and I'm going to take a measurement today, how do I put those two together? Because I know there's a variation. I'm going to do it with models. You go back to you know the question again. What's the average surveyor need to know? Use the model. What's the average surveyor need to know? Use the geoid, what's the average surveyor need to know? You can't constrain old stuff, you can only constrain current stuff. I mean, these are the fundamentals, you know. What what antenna height do you measure? ARP, what does ARP mean? That's trivia in terms of reference point. Anyway, you know, but it's like, that's what the geodetic surveyor needs to know. Hmm. You know, do you need to know how to model an antenna? No, that's science. There's a line in there somewhere, I know there is. And some of it's science and some of it's what we gotta know it's the same stuff like we've already done. Where do you measure to the prism? You know, to the middle. You know, it's like, you know, how do you, you know, do you do it at an angle with parallax or do you stand straight on? I mean, you know, like we already have all these fundamentals. We already know what we're doing. We, you know, we are very professional people. We just have a couple of new things to learn and test for. That's it. That's it, Sean. That's it. It's It's easy. Easy peasy. Sean, I I can see you getting this certificate.
2: Oh, yeah. This is right up my alley. Hell no, he's an engineer. What are
0: you, a PE? I mean, it's... Yeah, be civil. Yeah, oh, you're close. Maybe close we'll enough. give it to you.
2: My bachelor's in mechanical, so I got a little more. Uh, I had a good buddy that was mechanical, more more, more calculus than the typical civil, so it helps.
0: I, I I there's a there's a good buddy, Jesse Boyd. Shout out, hey Jess. Um, and we have to go to Vittles. He knows what that means and have lunch. But anyway, I gotta call him. Uh, but I was surveying his mom and dad's house, and and you know, like he just happened to be up there. They lived up in New River. And, and he comes out and he's studying uh, mechanical, I think it was mechanical engineering, I'm pretty sure at U of A. And he comes out and he talks to this wacky dude that's out there surveying the property. And, and it, it turned him on to surveying. He's like, holy cow, I, I have to know what you know. That's that's just bizarre. And he ended up being, he was like my roommate for a while. And then he you know, worked at the same company as I, yeah. as I owned. And, you know, and we've been friends for a long, long time. But yeah, it was like, there's hope for you. The moral of the story: It's still possible. <laughs> there is hope. I've seen it happen with my own my own eyes. So
2: yeah, uh, Kent. What else do you have?
0: I'm good, man. I mean,
1: there's so much more we get to. We'll have Brian Fisher round three.
2: Yeah, yeah, yeah. My my I'd mind's uh, swimming a little bit, so uh, I do have to ask the last question. This do, one? Do you have a mantra this that you one? live by?
0: I told you the guys last time. <laughs> It's that you know, like that comes out of, you know, my, my military. Shoot to hit, fight to win, adapt and overcome. Failure is not an option. A lot of that's like is stole from the Marines. But I was a CB. I like it. Um and that's you know, we hung around on a and lot of things. And you still live by that now? No, I don't I've I not dumped it down. I civilianized I it. it you know, aim to <laughs> succeed or you know, I mean, you know, uh not fight to win, but you know, it's like, you know, take on challenges to be successful. Um adapt and overcome, that one still applies and failure is not an option. You know, it's like don't yeah. give up. It's like the only time failure is permanent is when you stop trying. Mm. So I like that. I still like that. That's a good one. I'm going to I'm going to make
1: note of that one right here. All right, what else? Are we good? Anything else? What yeah, there's got, another Sean? one.
0: Is like any parting words? Do that one you going to ask yeah, me? yeah, I like that one. Do
2: you have any parting words?
0: I do. <laughs> Sean, thanks for asking. <laughs> never what <laughs> have, have you not have, touched on we have lost the show Sean. <laughs> we have lost the show it is now Brian's world we just live in it <laughs> <laughs> never miss your kid's field trip ooh okay why is that is that from experience okay that come back to the whole work-life balance thing see how I tied that in yeah this is literacy or literature as its finest you know, we've tied it all together you know it's like yeah have work-life balance don't take this stuff too seriously I mean you gotta work hard but don't miss the important things. Don't that's miss your stuff. kid's field trip. That's the important stuff.
2: Because that's what they'll remember.
0: Oh, yeah, hell yeah. I mean, now on the grandkids, you can let it slide because like their parents should be going. But if their parents aren't going, fair game. Mm. Go to the kid's field trip. I've gone to a ton. And that, again, that goes back to that work-life balance. I would rather have experiences and memories than things and accomplishments. And I would rather have touched one person's life in a meaningful way than had mindless dribbled millions. And I'm sure there's a Bible quote in there. It's like better to uh, have... Or it's, it's not as good to gain the whole world and lost your salvation. And I'm butchering. That's Paul. Apostle Paul that did that one. But it's like, you know, don't lose point of the real purpose in life. And the real purpose in life is our relationships. Here's a shameless plug. I just wrote an article on American Surveyor on my takeaways from the FIG conference that I just got a chance to go to, which was amazing. And we could talk about that for a long time, but I won't. I'll just cut to the chase. There is the big M in NSRS modernization, all the glitzy stuff, the technology, and the new datum, and the tools, that's the big M. But there's a little M, and that's all the people that are making it happen. And I, I stole that quote from one of the NGS presenters. Read the article and you'll see you know, some of the other things. But it was like, it's all the people. It's the relationships. That's the big takeaway. And that correlates to this thing I just said. Never miss your kid's field trip. Because don't lose sight of what's actually important. And it probably doesn't start with a capital letter. It's something you don't think is obvious. And it really is the biggest thing. So I probably should shut up after that.
2: I like that.
1: That's that's a good uh, good leave there, Brian. Again, our guest is smarter than you and I combined. What is oh, happening here? I, I'm more uh, I'm more average than your smart. We're bear. trending in the wrong direction. We are trending wrong <laughs> direction
2: <laughs> exactly.
1: <laughs> all right, I believe that's about all we got, Brian. Thanks again for being here. This Thank you great. for having me.
0: This is awesome. I mean, you guys are awesome. I, I I'm so appreciative that you are out there doing something for our society. I like how you're closing me out on something that isn't ABBA. <laughs> right. <laughs> Dancing queen. Yeah, try
2: something to again. try to talk over this one. I,
0: I got to hear it.
1: <laughs> oh, man. All right. Well, hey, thanks. I, I failed to thank you earlier. Thanks for your service. Appreciate well, this. Yes, absolutely. absolutely.
0: My privilege and pleasure.
1: Adding value and making friends. Once again, if anyone would like to be a guest on a future show, shoot us an email at info at What did we decide to call this? Apex Twin. Mm-hmm. Boof. What is this uh, boost? Bouncing ball? Close enough. Something like that. Available everywhere. Pie movie soundtrack. It It should be a pie movie soundtrack, absolutely. Go watch the movie. (laughs) I have to watch the movie. (laughs) Until next time. Have the fear of doing it wrong. I love that. Don't stop trying. Don't miss the important things. Most importantly, be safe and healthy.
0: Field trips. Go on field trips.
4: My name is Linda, what do you call it? Goodbye.